name's Bond. James Bond. What do you think you're doing? Keeping the British hand up, sir. Grow up, double <laughs> This never happened to the other fellow. I'm the man. Every penny of it. So you put your money where your mouth is. It's quite a nice little nothing you're almost wearing. I approve. I'll do anything for a woman with a knife. And any small man I never forget! Kill Bond, now! To the right! To the right! To the right! Shocking, positively shocking. You get your clothes on, I'll buy you a nice trade. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Double Oz 7, the true James Bond podcast out of Australia because we have one thing that props us up above all others and that's a Canadian that is introing this episode which makes everything better. Uh, we are here to talk about something other than the movies which we've been covering almost exclusively for the last couple of months and we are minus one of our correspondents today because uh, his education level doesn't match with what we're about to talk about which is reading! We're here to talk about books, because there were books of James Bond before there were movies. So this will be an interesting hour, hour and a half, however long this takes us to get through. Uh, might as well go through the introductions now. I am coming to you live uh, from inside Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I am Colin Hilding. Uh, my name is Naram Groves, and unlike Ben Waterworth, I can read! <laughs> And my name's Ben, and I'm an idiot. <laughs> he did say he'd pop into the episode once he learned how to read. So, uh, if you He's hear trying. him, if you hear him, send him congratulations He's... on Twitter or something. He does have the encyclopedia? Yeah, <laughs> encyclopedia James Bond, which he does have a lot of pictures. Yeah, he mostly goes by the pictures, and he asks his fiance, "Tell me what the words say underneath this picture, so I sound smart in the episode." Uh, that says Jinx Ben. <laughs> Um, thankfully, because we are talking about the novels, there will be no jinx in this episode. There will be no <laughs> yeah, die, no another, die day. another day. <laughs> this will be a nice fresh start for Double Oz Seven here. So um, I'm already loving this. This is we're minus Ben. There's no die another day. I mean, this really is pretty much the peak. It's all going to be downhill from this point on. No blinking fish. No blinking fish. No Timothy Dalton's great chemistry with his co-stars. Any of the other Ben nonsense. Hello, Ben. <laughs> we know he's not listening to this episode. Uh, he saw honest. book in the title. Yeah. <laughs> he would have to read the title to in order to know yeah. what it was, I guess. But uh, let's start this off. Um, I guess, as we already said... The Ian Fleming novels is what we're going to be talking about today. I guess we'll reserve some of the other spin-off novels and uh, extended ones later on. But uh, I guess we've referenced throughout all of the episodes the novels quite a bit, at least especially in those early days when we were covering the movies based on them, whether they covered them um, or adapted them well or adapted them poorly. Uh, we did talk about it quite a bit. So um, obviously we've read... Uh, have you read all of the novels, Noah? Hmm. Uh, confession time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have not read The Spy Who Loved Me, despite owning it, and we'll probably get into that one because it doesn't have the best of reputations. Uh, I've got it, and I'm not not reading it because I've heard it's bad. It's just I simply haven't gotten around to it, but I will. So I've read them all, minus the one where Ian Fleming impersonates a teenager. <laughs> 
Okay, well, confession time on my part. Um, at least between the two of us, we've read all the novels, because I've read The Spy <laughs> Who Loved Me, and I might actually have some good things to say about it. But for Ooh. for me, The Man with the Golden Gun, uh, still haven't... I, I think I'm about 12, 15 pages into it. Um, well, yeah, I am 12 pages into The Spy Who Loved Me. But... <laughs> so, so we've covered the exact same amount of pages in James Bond novels, <laughs> just different books. But, yeah, with The Man with the Golden Gun, that's the only one that I won't really have much to add on. I always wanted to save that for reading last. Um, never got around to it. When we were recording the uh, live and Let, the block of Diamonds Are Forever, Live and Let Die, um, I wanted to reread those because those were some of the earliest novels I read. And at the same time, like, let me start Man with the Golden Gun. And 10, 15 pages in, it just... It, it was written so differently. Um, it just didn't feel like Ian Fleming, so I just jumped off, and I just haven't had a chance to get back on again. But I, I'll get around to it eventually. Hey, you've read 13 more than Ben. There we go, yeah. No one's judging. <laughs> but uh, let's just start out by uh, saying how we got into the James Bond novels, because I don't think it's something that all fans of the series really do, although they should. Uh, but for me, obviously, watching the movies first, I doubt there's many people out there who discovered in the library a book called Casino Royale, and then they're like, ooh, they made movies out of these. I didn't know that. James Bond is in the movies now. By the guy that wrote Chitty Chitty Bang. Yeah. <laughs> also, the uh, author of Thrilling Cities and Diamond Ooh. Smugglers. Well... I I actually own the Diamond Smugglers, and I might get oh, into nice. that a bit later. But I've never actually read it, and I I didn't purchase it either. But I do own the Diamond Smugglers, so I think I'll have to read that eventually. Well, we'll, we'll cover an episode on that. Uh, I actually do want to do an episode on the other works of Ian Fleming at some point, but uh, well, it's not like there's a huge amount we need yeah. to get through. <laughs> Basically, three books, and only I guess one that was really fiction or. Another was collection of stories, whatever. But and I think Chitty Chitty Bang Bang might be a story that Ben could understand. That's right. <laughs> We've got something on Ben's level, so we can encourage him <laughs> to get into reading. This is how you get people reading. <laughs> but I don't know. For me, I got into the novels obviously because I got into the movies, and um, it, it wasn't like right away. It wasn't when I started watching the Pierce Brosnans or even when I started watching the Sean Connerys. It was probably a couple years later. Um, I think the first one that I ever read was Honor Majesty's Secret Service, and uh, it was around the time, I guess, in between World Is Not Enough and Die Another Day, coming up on like the 20th anniversary, and everything was James Bond. I mean, it didn't matter where you looked on the internet, where you looked in stores, James Bond was everywhere, they'd re-released all the novels, and Honor Majesty's Secret Service being my favorite movie, uh, I think it was uh, Christmas, uh, my brother got me the book for Christmas. And then uh, after that, I think I got the Casino Royale book. Um, or it was the other way around, I think. It was Casino Royale first, and then Honor Majesty's Secret Service for my birthday a few months later. And then I got really lucky because my mom's boyfriend at the time, uh, he worked at a place, and I guess they did book I don't know if it's a big thing in Australia, like book drives where people donate used books, and then they sell them for charity and everything. And after a couple of days, if something wasn't sold, they'd often just tell the employees at the place he was working, hey, this book drive, they're giving this stuff away. Do you want to take any of these? And he would bring home James Bond books every couple of weeks usually. And I got through quite a bit of the series like that. So um, Casino Royale really started it for me. And then I was lucky to have a lot of those books uh, donated to me, I guess, and um, have just kept collecting them since then. 
Uh, well, yeah, we're both cheapskates then, because I too had donated books to me. Um, it's kind of an interesting uh, story, I guess. Um, I only very recently, I've many, many, many years after the, I first saw a James Bond film, when I first read a book. Um, probably only two, three four at the absolute max years ago that I started reading the books. So I'm going to say probably two years, though, um, give or take. But a long, long time ago, when I was maybe like eight, nine, ten, um, I I don't know, one of my mum's friends or something gave us a box of books or something, and in it was like four or five James Bond films. I think it was Casino Royale... Uh, the Man with the Golden Gun was in there, Moonraker, Maybe You Only Live Twice, and Goldfinger. And it's not really something for a nine-year-old to be reading, is it? Um, it's kind of hard to get in. It's no chitty-chitty-bang-bang. So I I knew what they were, because I've loved the Bond films since I was maybe five years old. So I immediately knew what the books were. Um and this was pre-Casino Royale, because that's kind of how I knew, oh, Casino Royale was the first one. Um, the film, I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, they kind of just sat away in a cupboard for a long time, because it wasn't really something that you could get into at a young age. And then, when I was a bit older, I just didn't really think about them, because they've just been sitting away forever. And then I went on another big rewatch a few years ago, and... Uh, after I watched it, I think I watched Casino Royale, and then I'm like, hey, this book is lying around somewhere. I found the book, and I wasn't intending to read it. I just wanted to read a few pages just to see what it was like. And I think it was a day or maybe two later I had finished Casino Royale novel, and I was completely hooked. It was a very entertaining novel. Uh, Kind of unique as well in terms of compared to other books that I've read. It's similar, but also very different. And after that, I went on to some of the other ones that I owned. So I'm lucky that I started with Casino Royale. That's good that I started from the start. But if you can guess, the second one that I read um, was The Man with the Golden Gun. So I started from the beginning, and then I went to the end, only because that I was completely hooked and that was the only one I had. I couldn't find the other ones that I owned, Goldfinger, Moonraker, and You Only Live Twice. So I was on eBay and I purchased them more, but I didn't want to wait because uh, if you live in Australia, sometimes you got to wait two weeks to get something in the mail, believe it or not. That's the same here in Canada. Um, <laughs> yeah, although we don't have to walk to a communal post box. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so I read Man with the Golden Gun next just because I was hooked. Finally, the other books came. I got, I'm really telling my life story. <laughs> I got a big book. It had five of them in there, I think. I've still got it. And I went back to Live and Let Die. That was my second one. Uh, I believe after that, From Rush With Love was in that book. Don't think Moonraker was in it. Otherwise, I would have read it. Uh, Diamonds Are Forever, Doctor No. And from there, I just went. I didn't read them all in order. It was kind of a jumbled order, but I did start with Casino Royale. And I also wasn't really concerned with spoilers because they do share very uh, simil- a lot of similarities between the films and even the ones that don't. Like, I care about spoilers in TV, but I didn't really care about the James Bond books. I just read them for what they were. 
But yeah, I started and I was completely hooked and I was reading one one a week or even sometimes maybe two. I'm not sure. I'm not that fast, but completely hooked and was loving them. And I definitely recommend them to any James Bond fan because it it really completes, makes a full experience and it's something different while something similar. And they're just really good books. They're really entertaining and they're short. There you go, Ben. They're short. Yeah, there's... There's not a lot of them that are long. I think Honor Majesty's Secret Service, from memory, might have been one of the slightly longer ones. But even that, compared to other, especially other spy novels, it's it's a pretty decent length. Um, the other thing is, like you said, you jumped around, and that was the same thing with me. I think I went Casino Royale, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, Moonraker, Diamonds Are Forever, uh, Doctor No, Live and Let Die, and uh, yeah, so it was kind of all over the place for me too. But much like the movies, even though they do have those things connecting them. Uh, you don't need to read one to get the other. Short of maybe, I, I would assume, on if you read You Only Live Twice Before on a Majesty's Secret Service, you may be a little bit lost. But not even Well, I did that. But, but you had seen the movies, uh, so yeah. yeah, you would at least get... Oh, wait, maybe I didn't do that. Did I do that? No, I can't remember. Were there any that you read before you saw the movie? No. Definitely not. Yeah, the only one that the I would The closest one would be the first page of Casino Royale before <laughs> 2006, that's it. Uh, yeah, the Casino Royale was the only one that I read. I actually, I think I read it twice, or maybe even three times by the time the movie came out. So it actually did, I don't know if I even mentioned this on the Casino Royale uh, episode we did, but it changed, my opinion of Casino Royale the movie had to change a lot over the time because it was the only experience I ever had with knowing the book going into the movie and it's not that i mean the movie we talked about it that it's very close to the novel in a lot of ways but a lot of the things they changed kind of bothered me you know how you get that thing where you read a book first and you see the movie you're like well but they changed this and they changed this so it took me yeah. at least till the second view of casino royale to really appreciate it because i was thrown off by how many things they changed but it also can enhance the films as well i feel one i've always liked from Russia with love but i felt like after i read from Russia with Love and watched the film again, I had a much bigger appreciation for it. I'm like, yes, these characters I can really relate to a lot more now that I know a ton more and I can see where they were going with that. So I think it can also aid the films a lot, and that's one thing I do like about the um, the books. Plus, we get a lot of Sean Campbell in uh, *On Majesty's Secret Service*. Well, plus, like I mean, with you said from Russia with Love, it the, the two things that kind of go together. Doctor No would definitely be another one like that too. Um, oh, yeah. There's there's so much more in the book, even though the story is exactly the same. I mean, that was one of the things that surprised me the most with the Doctor No novel. But I found that I liked the Doctor No movie. Then I read the book, and I went back and watched the movie and loved the Doctor No movie. Like it, it had, even though there's not a lot of things that change in the story, it had that effect. And th- I think that goes it's just for, got more in it. Yeah, but and it's still Doctor No the movie. That's I think, like you said, you'd encourage most of the fans to go out and read them. That's one of the main reasons why I'd say I agree with you because even if we go back to Live and Let Die, um, I was re-listening to the episode briefly when we were putting together our best of and when we get into the discussion on solitaire's powers are her powers real and you know you know are able to go into the the discussion on well in the book it's kind of more that she's set up as a mentalist whereas in the movie it's like she has a real power but you can you can compare those two things you can appreciate some things about even a character like that a little bit more when you know the movie even if they did change it there's a lot of uh ways that perceptions will change once you do read the book 
and in Doctor No, we get a name for the, the photographer lady. <laughs> and if you ask me to recall it right now, I couldn't tell you, but there's a name for that lady. I've forgotten her name. It's Miss something rather. So there's that too. Was it Daily Gleaner? Was that it? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> and also, uh, well, I'm probably jumping too far into it, but like different contexts, like Commander John Strangways, I'm just mm-hmm. reading that off the Wikipedia, but. Strangways, our good friend who gets murdered straight away. He's a recurring character. When that guy gets murdered, that's that's one of one of the crew getting murdered. Mm-hmm. And Quarrel, he's like a, a two timer there. So when Quarrel dies, it's even more sad than in the film. So there's also that chronology which we'll probably jump into because it's a very important part of the books. We're talking about how we jumped around a bit. But um that's one thing I do like about the books that probably did more, even more so than the 60s films is the connections and the chronology and the character development of Mr. James Bond, but we're probably jumping ahead there. So. I guess the next thing we could really cover here is just comparing the movies and the novels. We talked a little bit about how some of them you know, really help each other, but there are those cases where not even just what we could talk both about whether a novel was better than a movie or whether a movie was better in a novel, but also just certain things that carry throughout the series. So, starting off, I guess, things that the novels did a little bit better than the movie. Um, off the top of my head, one of the things I can think about, obviously, is uh, we're starting to get a lot more in the Daniel Craigs, which I think we've talked about it in some of the recent episodes, but just the fact that James Bond is kind of mortal. Uh, you know, you go through the Sean Connerys, the Roger Moores, he could get beaten down and it doesn't seem to affect him as much. Whereas, especially when you see, like, the torture scene in Casino Royale or, you know, even just the, his lack of sleeping in Quantum of Solace, little things like that. That was one of the things that struck me the most about the novels is how much of a beating Bond takes and how much... Like, when I read Casino Royale the first time and there's that torture scene and Bond is pretty much hospitalized for weeks, I'm like... I was thinking to myself at the time, if they ever made this into a movie, how are they going to have that? Because you can't just have a movie where James Bond's in the hospital. Like, it didn't even make sense to me at the time. And I think my favorite example of that would actually be Dr. No, the the escape he has from the cell in Dr. No, which is a lot more elaborate than the book. And I remember this one moment where James Bond's basically crawled out of some ducks or something, and he's climbing on the outside of a cliff on Crab Key and he stops to vomit because he's actually pushed himself so far that he's throwing up and those are things that make the books really effective and we we never really get that in the movies and I like that they're starting to bring it in but that's one of the things where you can really get something different in the book yeah I I agree with the the casino like we joke about Ben can't read and all this stuff uh, but I would very much recommend Casino Royale because that's the thing with the Vesper relationship, which I just think is done so much better. Um, not no, not better, but in a novel format, you're allowed to have a huge third of the uh, thing just about a relationship with a character, and they let this develop. Um, so I definitely agree with that one. Is Casino Royale the film does it great? But I think that the reason Ben thought it was so off is because it was kind of a novelty type thing. Um, but I'm not sure if we're talking about the other way, the films as well doing it better than the novels. But I guess in the, 
the films, <laughs> James Bond is a bit less racist and a bit less sexist. <laughs> uh, but the sexism thing, we definitely something we need to touch on in this episode because we have uh, kind of hinted at it. But there is no denying a lot of the stuff in this film, uh, in these books, are racist yes. and are sexist. Some I think you can defend, others is just... I think there's a line in Live and Let Die, and again, it's a part of the time. You have to view it from that mindset. Like, Ian Fleming did not write this in 2016, but I think there's a line like, James Bond looked at a negress, and she was driving a car. <laughs> How could she be driving a car? Like, Yeah, a little ne- bit... Negress. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, just, just to touch on that, I mean... One of the things we've talked about a lot, especially in the early... When we go back to the 60s, the early Bond movies, I know I mentioned a lot about how there was a novelty with them going to these different locations and seeing these different cultures because you have to imagine 1960s, and going back even further with the novels, 1950s, people didn't see a lot of the world. I mean, there weren't a lot of options to even fly from one continent to the other. I mean, that was something that uh, was not as readily available as it is now, and you didn't have the Discovery Channel or anything like that. and There was no National Geographic that was widely known or at least accessible on TV. So in kind of a defense of that, I mean, Ian Fleming would write about what he knew. And there are some, like, I don't think we should really give the impression that Ian Fleming is racist because there's some races that Ian Fleming has a lot of great things to say about, especially when he's talking about Caribbean uh, region. Uh, he's very complimentary. When he gets into Koreans, maybe not so much, like we said. Uh, the New York stuff, um, Harlem, a little bit uh, dated now, but you can almost explain it off as just the word ignorant in the proper context would come up. If you don't know these cultures, if you've never seen a lot of these people, you're not going to know any better. And that's something that I think gets lost when you look back on the 50s and 60s, is that a lot of people, they just didn't know. I mean, I live in a city where there's pretty much you walk down the street and within 10 minutes you're going to see almost every race that's you could think of. Um, I've been to schools where you know I'm in the minority and then you go to another school and it's a completely different race that's the majority there. These things didn't really exist back in the 50s. So when he does write about some of these races, yes, it is harsh. Um, did he have to go as far as he did with the Koreans? I think in Goldfinger, probably not. <laughs> Uh, the movies handle it a little bit uh, better, but I think we can give some grace to them for that. Yeah, I don't think it should be a deterrent to anyone wanting to read the books. It's something you should be aware of. <laughs> some of the stuff I read, I'm like, whoa, I, was, I knew it was going to be like this, but not that bad. Uh, but it, again, it is a sign of the times as well. Um, if Ian Fleming wrote this in 2016, it would not be like this, so... If if you're very sensitive, I don't think you should draw you away from the books. I would still recommend them, and you should be able to turn a blind eye at some of this stuff. But um, I don't know how much we want to go on it, but just to kind of another one big plus of the film, uh, the books over the films, I think, is characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned Strangways, uh, Mathis. Like, these are all great characters in the film, not taking it away, but... I just the biggest one that screams out is from Russia with Love, where Red Grant Nash, um, Red Grant gets pretty. I think it's maybe three chapters mm-hmm. completely dedicated to backstory and characterization, and 
at the time I'm reading it, I didn't really like it. I'm like, come on, where's James Bond? And then I think back and I think, yeah, this one really was one of the best ones. And it's part of the reason I look at the film so fondly now because I know Red Grant much more from this book and uh, Tatiana is such a better character in the book. Mm. And I don't hate her in the film. And Rosa Klebb, these characters are all getting chapters dedicated to themselves. And James Bond doesn't come into the film until, I don't know, uh, the book, sorry, until, like, I think it's called Part 2 or Act 2 or something. And it just makes the story that much better because you have the motivations from these characters and you know these characters so much more um, that it makes it more fulfilling. But not always. There are some dodgy characters in the books, but overall I think the characterization is much better done in the books over the films as well, even with James Bond. Yeah, well, I'll get into that in a second. Um, just to touch on some of the supporting characters, I know I had a lot to say about Tiffany Case, um, who we'll do kind of quick reviews of the books later, but, I mean, Diamonds Are Forever, easily one of the weakest books uh, Ian Fleming wrote, if not the weakest, whereas the Tiffany Case character, one of the strongest characters, not just female characters, one of the strongest characters he ever wrote, uh, it's really her that drives the story. It's her that has all the confidence, and Bond is the one who's kind of just having to learn from her. And in the movie, I mean, th- that's a perfect example of a character who just got sent the complete opposite direction. But even outside of Tiffany Case, I mean, going back to Dr. No even again, I mean, Honey Rider, the character is all there in the movie. It's just because we talked about this, because 1962 you can't say a lot of the things that are in her background on screen, you know, without, I mean, they didn't even have it, R ratings really that time, but without being able to have it cleared by the censors, but there's a pretty dark backstory there, and that goes for a lot of the female characters, I think especially, is that they have these really... honey raped by five men or yeah, something. Yeah, it was really dark, and that goes a long way in explaining the characters and also... Yeah, it gives know, a lot more into the whole damsel in distress mm-hmm. type thing, and also girl trying to fend for herself as well. You mentioned also Bond's character too, and the interesting thing is that we are getting a lot of Bond's backstory, I guess, in the most recent... Skyfall and Spectre, the most recent block of Bond movies. Spectre? Spectre. <laughs> but um, the the thing is is that there's not that much said about it in the books, and I'm not going to say that the yeah. movies are doing things the books didn't do. They're pretty much saying exactly what the books did, but this is the way it was handled. Like, I, if you go to the Skyfall movie, that's one thing that they did really well in that, was that you think you're about to get this massive backstory on Bond and his childhood and really they just mention one or two things and you're kind of left to draw your own conclusions and that's what his backstory was set up as in the the books but the most interesting thing is how the Bond character progresses and I think especially when you get to mm. Honor Majesty's Secret Service and this is something the books did much better was that whole trilogy of Thunderball Honor Majesty's Secret Service and then You Only Live Twice I mean it's told out of order in the movies but even if you told it in order because of switching actors and switching tones of the movie, it was completely lost. Whereas I'd say if, if anybody's going to read anything outside of, you know, starting with Casino Royale, make sure you can get to that Thunderball on Her Majesty's Secret Service and especially the You Only Live Twice block because the Bond character gets very deep in those and I think you get a lot into his character without them having to make him this mopey, whiny wimp, you know? <laughs> uh, 
it's kind of a tragic if you read the books it's kind of a tragic end to the bond character even though he doesn't die but it's always like a tragedy watching this guy unfold that is uh not tragic bond but that entire thing is probably my favorite thing about the book is just and i really do need to read them in order in order at some point even though i've read them all i think it would be more fulfilling kind of like the rewatching it all in order um is just the character progression is definitely there like ian fleming had chronology he didn't and the films we we kind of mentioned yeah they're here and there but just because of the switching actors and it's been around for 50 years it's kind of James Bond is known for not really having a chronology. It's just, here's the next mission. Here's this. And the Daniel Craig films are kind of turning that around, but once Craig is gone, they're probably going to introduce a new actor and a new timeline or something like that. So it's kind of lost. But this, like, every mission continued on. He would reference Le Chief in, like, I don't know, From Us Through Love. I don't know if he did in that one. And, and Mathis would return and all this stuff. And there was this character progression of James Bond, which was just really kind of a backdrop. They never, he was never too obvious about it, but it was definitely there. Um, and then the other thing simultaneously is the progression of Ian Fleming's writing. Mm-hmm. If you read Casino Royale and you read You Only Live Twice, you are literally, and I'm using that correctly, literally watching a writer progress as a writer. Um, because he pretty much only wrote James Bond outside of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and two other things. That you are seeing, even though Casino Royale is one of the best ones, it's so much more simple and less com Well, not less complex, but just the writing compared to the later ones. So you get to see that, and I'd say maybe From Russia With Love was kind of the one where he finally went to the next level. Um, but kind of going on a tangent. But yeah, the James Bond, there's just so much you can talk about, but the fact that the Vespa kill, which they are kind of using, if now that I think about it, they are doing the book timeline in a way now with the Vespa thing and how it has affected James Bond. But that is, like, that goes on for the rest of the entire film. Like, he never gets out of that, really. And that kind of changes his character. And that's why in the later novels, and we've mentioned this in the other episodes that that is why he's kind of hesitant on women and it doesn't excuse all the sexist things that's for sure but it does at least give some context um and i think you mentioned tiffany case i could be getting films mixed up but i think that's left on a cliffhanger where they're on the boat and it's like oh maybe i finally met someone and i've gotten over vespa and all this stuff and that is really the driving point and that's what makes uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service all the more tragic and explains why in You Only Live Twice that if he died he probably wouldn't even care at that point mm-hmm. um, and uh, maybe we don't want to jump too far ahead but I think You Only Live Twice is the perfect ending for the James Bond series uh, not the film series, the book series but I don't know where I'm going with this but I absolutely love the progression of the James Bond character and it's something that's very subtle, but is a huge point in all of these films. And then you only, uh, Man with the Gun Gun kind of threw a lot of that out the window. But, yeah, that that is a huge plus for the books, and hopefully that is a selling point for someone who hasn't read the books, because it's something that 
if anything, that would probably be the number one thing that the books absolutely trump over the film. You did mention, and we said we were going to talk about earlier, the, the sexism element, uh, just like the racism part. And like you said, there are moments where it's like, okay, well, th- you know, this this kind of just uh, an opinion being thrown in there. But um, I've been saying, I think, since pretty much the beginning of this podcast that people who look at James Bond as a sexist character really do need to read the novels because, like you were saying, there's a reason for it. Um, and this is what I'd always do. I, I remember uh, when I used to uh, try to sell my sister on the Bond movies, and I know when we did the uh, World's On Nup episode, I mentioned that you know I, I would try to prove her preconceptions about it, having never seen the Bond movies and the preconceptions people have saying oh, well, he's just a womanizer and, you know, he's just always saving the world. And it's like, well, there's a lot more to it than that. The Vesper character was completely lost on the original movies. And it is so important that you know at least that part of it because James Bond, he was betrayed by a woman and that made him untrusting of women, which explains why he treats a lot of them the way he does. And that's something Ian Fleming always intended. And like you said, if you read all the, or even if you don't read an order, but you look at it through the order, you get to you know, Moonraker where it's like, okay, he's almost ready to trust somebody again, but then it turns out, well, she's not available. And then uh, Diamonds Are Forever, Tiffany Case, he's very intrigued by her throughout this. So it's like he's he's kind of just getting back in the saddle again, like you said. And the way it all ends up, it's James Bond is almost more of a victim of his... Uh, I think poor timing in not that he has bad trust in women. There are times where he's trusted some and it turned out to be a mistake. And there's times where he trusted some and it, it didn't work out. Like in the case of Tracy, you know, something just sort of rips it away from him. And he's kind of just like, that's why I always keep going back to the word tragic. It's just, it, it, things just don't work out for him the way that they should. He um, is a tragic character. He is, yeah. And I don't know if we're even... If we don't want to... Spo- I mean, if somebody's listening to this episode, they probably read it, but we don't want to spoil too much what happens at the end of You Only Live Twice. But it's just... I can't say enough how, what a good ending it is. And the, Ian Fleming, it, mm-hmm. I think he always intended to start James Bond off as this guy who was betrayed by a woman then had trust issues and then end off the way he did it on You Only Live Twice, which is just... It's it's totally unexpected. Um we should mention, though, again, that what the other aspect of this that's kind of lost is that Ian Fleming would go into more detail. And when I was rereading Casino Royale, what, about a month or two ago when we recorded the episode, there is a mention even before the whole thing with Vesper comes up where, you know, he's like, oh, I can't believe you're giving me a woman to be my liaison or whatever. <laughs> but he explains it in a way where it makes logical sense. He's like, you know the woman will be a distraction for me. He's like, and he even goes into detail and in saying, if this woman, if I actually end up liking this woman, that makes it even worse because then that'll be used against me. So he's always thinking about his job first and some of the sexism that people just sort of think is, oh, well, that's just with the times. Ian Fleming did have a reason behind it. And I think as a guy who knew spies and knew that world, he did bring something more to that to explain it off. I think uh, the bitch is dead is either the best or the worst final uh, closing of a novel ever. It's an uh, that's the final one. line. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it just ho- uh, like homes in on this theme of a secret agent, and you mentioned his job that he always puts first. Um, pretty much the entire theme of the entire Bond book series is. 
service to your country over love mm-hmm. is pretty much and you wouldn't think Ian Fleming would be a huge like romance type thing and it's not really but that is the theme of pretty much if you had to think of one theme and again you mentioned the ending of You Only Live Twice it, it's the kind of ending that would not work on film I don't think I don't think especially nowadays you could do that ending without it seeming gimmicky or something like that uh, if I'm re- remembering it correctly, how he ends up with Kissy Suzuki in the end. Um, but it is the perfect... It's it's almost happy ending in a way, which is... It, it's, it's tragic, like you keep saying, but in a way, it is almost a happy ending, um, which is completely torn apart by the man with the golden gun, which, again, we may get to, but... Yeah, he kind of finds happiness in a way, in a weird roundabout way, and in a completely unexpected way, he gets over Tracy and Vespa. Um, but again, maybe we don't. Do we? Uh, we better not spoil it in case no, you haven't. Yeah. But if we um, do individual book reviews, you have to read it first. Yeah, then you're screwed. Um, yeah. If anybody's curious about what we're talking about and you have read the book, just message us. But um, yeah. Yeah, there's one, like, we're talking about the things that the novels have done better. We've pretty much talked exclusively about that, and I don't think I don't think we should take away from the movies, because there are a few examples where <laughs> the movies have improved on some things. Um, some of the books, I think, that the movies did things better, uh, you know, obviously with uh, Goldfinger, it's a great book, but I think it was a, it was an amazing movie, and yeah. the interesting thing about Goldfinger is that if you were to look on the surface, I don't think many people would look at Goldfinger as an example of something where you could improve on a book because you would think the movie is kind of cartoony. It's not really taking itself seriously. There's a lot of plot holes, but Ian Fleming wrote the book in the same way. And that was the thing that was most striking to me when I read Goldfinger is that you get so used to these novels like From Russia with Love and You Only Live Twice that are very serious. And then Goldfinger is almost just like, it's like watching Casino Royale 67 in a way. It's it's kind of goofy intentionally. And the entire premise of it was just Bond and this guy Goldfinger just trying to top each other and get on each other's nerves. And a lot of the things they brought in, especially in the climax, to explain away the plot hole um, from the novel, which is that you can't rob Fort Knox. It's impossible. Not that you can't break in. You can't rob it uh, and actually come away with the money. Bringing in little things like the, the twist of no, we're actually just going to make our gold more valuable and everything. Um, there are a lot of good things done in that, and I think they brought a better balance, whereas it's an entertaining novel, but it also just felt really weird, and I think the movie did that a little bit better. Um, I'm trying to think, I mean, other than something obvious like The Spy Who Loved Me, or if there are a lot of examples of movies doing a better, I would assume Man with a Golden Gun may uh, <laughs> be an example of that. You could bring more to that. Um for the most part, I think Goldfinger, and even as we said, Doctor No and um, Spy loved me. Spy loved me, obviously, completely different story. But again, I'll say some good things about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that the movies I think brought sometimes more exciting climaxes. A couple of the novels, the climaxes just sort of peter out, and uh, there's other ones which are like amazing, like the Diamonds Are Forever climax in the book is probably the one strong thing about it, whereas in the movie, not so much. But yeah, there are some things about the movies, especially I think Thunderball. When you get to the climax, and the Thunderball book is one of my favorites, but when you get to the climax of the Thunderball book, it's very <laughs> brief, and it's kind of five, five pages. Yeah, it's like Ian Fleming, James Bond's in a cave, and then. 
you know, five pages later, they describe some action that sort of happens off screen and it's over. And then the Thunderball climax is so big and so elaborate. And it's just not something you could necessarily write, you know, without dialogue and everything. So some of the climaxes, they they did get bigger and better in the movies. And uh, I think that that's something that it did improve upon the, the books a little bit. I think... Uh... You're going to laugh at me, Diamonds Are Forever. It's just overall, I think, uh, is more enjoyable. Uh, I think during that book, that was just Fleming's uh, diamond phase where he was obsessed with diamonds and like the whole gangster thing. They kind of incorporated in the film, but it just doesn't really sit too well as a bond. I don't hate the novel, but it's not one of the shining moments. Um, and the villains, I think... Like, Lashif is a great villain in the book, but I think add Mads Mikkelsen into it. Yeah. And that just tops it. Uh, what, what's another one like? Um, even Blofeld with uh, Donald Pleasance, um, uh, Dr. No, just some of these villains, Goldfinger, they're all good villains, but once you add the actor, it really just takes it to the next level, I think. Um, and... Um, I guess You Only Live Twice is a funny one because we kind of shat a bit on, uh, what's his name? The author of that Ian script. Fleming? I'm... Oh, Roald Dahl. <laughs> <laughs> Roald Dahl, that's yeah. it. Uh, for his stupid script. But I guess on some things they probably did, You Only Live Twice is not a film. Like, that mm. book I would love to see it, but it's not really a film. So I guess they did a decent job at turning that from a novel into a film, but there's so much from that that I wish we did get to see. Um, But, yeah, overall, I would say the books are probably better, but I enjoy the films more. Like, uh, we shouldn't uh, get too over the top with the films not being good because I fell in love with the James Bond films and we've done 30-odd episodes on the James Bond films. So I love the books, and overall they're probably better stories for the most part. But uh, the films will always be the end or be all for me. We should probably uh, jump into, I guess, just quick reviews here of the the novels. I don't know how quick it's going to be. We tend to get long long winded <laughs> sometimes, but uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go on the order of publication here, which is it is the chronological order. Just you have to uh, take into account the short story collections which did come uh, last year and uh, we already start off by saying there's one that we each didn't read so that'll be very brief but um, anything to add I guess first on Casino Royale uh, just uh, in terms of I guess quick review of the novel um, we've talked I think more about Casino Royale than anything else so far in this episode but like I said it was the first one I read and it it's it's such a traditional spy story and it's not really what most people associate spy stories now, especially because of the way technology has come about as being very techy and uh, the, the born ones, especially, uh, you know, it's a lot more about government conspiracies and everything. And what makes this so interesting is that this is a simple spy story and it's, there's not really gadgets in it. And it's kind of just about money laundering, I guess. And there's all these great scenes. I think more than any of the other novels, Casino Royale just has memorable scenes. And I'm, I can even remember the scenes that uh, didn't make it in the movie. You know, there's the explosion 
uh, the bombing outside and uh, yeah. the the scene where Bond basically having a gun to his back, which they kind of replace with the poisoning in the movie. Um, all the scenes in that are so memorable, and I think even though we talked a lot about how good the characters are, like the Chief's a really good villain, uh, and Vesper's an amazing Bond girl in the the book, but uh, Mathis too. But I think Ian Fleming really got something with that, where this individual scenes were all memorable, and I think if you were to go 10 years without reading the book and somebody were to just do a synopsis, say, okay, this scene happens, this scene happens, it'll all come back to you. And I think it's one of the most memorable stories. Yeah, Casino Royale is amazing. And it's the most simple of all the books. The writing style, the chapters are like two or three pages, which actually helps it, I think, because it makes it move at a lightning speed. Um, and it is kind of good set up well because... It, it's not Bond's first mission, per se, am I right? I think, I don't want to say incorrect things on this episode, but it kind of sets the story up, and, like, this is the first time he meets Felix, and uh, first time he falls in love, and that kind of sets the motion for the rest of the f- things. So, um, the one thing that just blows my mind is, this is a novel that shouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Like, halfway through this freaking thing the main villain dies maybe two thirds and he is just killed by people coming in and shooting him that's how like like normally that would be criticised for like what are you doing you just had your main villain randomly killed off just by two guys we barely even know uh, who turn out to be Mr. White in the uh, film you're a kite Mr. Bond it shouldn't work but it does. And then an entire, pretty much third of the novel is dedicated to falling in love with Vespa. And it's just, it doesn't feel like a novel. It just feels like something different to anything ever. But it works so well, and that's why I love it so much. It's just something that shouldn't work, but it does work. And I think it holds up so well. Um of all the things, I probably have the most to say about that novel, so maybe we do have to do an episode on it or something, because there is just so much to talk about there. Um, but Live and Let Die is the second one, and the racism is pretty heavy, but I, I don't think this is a very popular one, but I'm going to have an unpopular opinion if that's the case, because I actually really enjoy this novel, um, minus the racism, if you can get past that. I love the character of Mr. Big. I think the character of Mr. Big is much better in this than in the film. Um, I just love the first act of Bond and Felix going around Harlem at night time and visiting the night. It just has a great mood around it, and it's probably more Felix than we ever get in any of the films. Um, And then the second half, moving to the island, this time in Jamaica, we're introduced to Quarrel and Strangways and... What, what's it, Mary Trueblood? <laughs> I can't remember the name. Um, the the Mary screen. Ah! That that lady. Um, it's just a great juxtaposition between the cityscape kind of thing, and it's so different to Casino Royale. Um, and it, it's not related to Smirch, which we haven't really talked much about Smirch, but I don't think we really need to um, too much. Um, oh, it says here he's an agent of Smirch, but it's not really a Smirch story yeah. uh, from memory. Um, and, of course, this is Felix Leiter uh, fed to the shark. So this the, from the this novel, I really enjoyed the story because it's just a great kind of detective spy story. Uh, through Live and Let Die, License to Kill, and 
there's another one. I'm blanking now. They've pretty much used most of this film. For your eyes only. Uh, book. Yeah, that's the one. They've pretty much used most of this book. So it's spread across three films, but there's not much left here to be used. So, so far, the first two, we're doing good with uh, how much has been used in the film. But unpopular opinion, I really find this an enjoyable, fast-paced uh, action novel. Yeah, I'm completely going to agree with you. Um, I don't think I loved this one the, as soon as I read it. Uh, it's kind of like you were saying um, that sometimes things have to c- come around for you. With with this one, I first read it, I'm like, yeah, that was okay. And a, cu- a little bit of time passed, and it was one of those things where, like I was talking about Casino Royale was memorable, this was the same thing, where some of the other books I'd kind of blank on, and... I'd always go back and be like, oh yeah, I remember this part in Live and Let Die and this part in Live and Let Die. And I think especially you said how it was more of a detective story. With Casino Royale, Bond had a mission and he knew exactly what he was supposed to do right at the beginning. With this, he really is one scene after the other. It's just investigating and finding out more and more. And uh, the, the thing that I think that Ian Fleming really ramped up in this movie was the action, though. And you talked about how you know, Felix's thing was taken for... Uh, license to kill and obviously the the climax of the novel you know being dragged under the boat they use that in for your eyes only um live and let die's action was a lot more elaborate than casino royale's and uh, i think the thing that i liked the most was that it was actually more violent too and i'm not saying well you have to get more violent but the violence was exciting in this one and uh this was also the first example of ian fleming kind of not trying to make something so 100 percent realistic and uh, based in reality, and this was kind of its own world, its own spy world that you would picture almost like in a comic book. This is how it would exist. So next up would be Moonraker, and we talked about how there's Casino Royale they hadn't adapted at the time, but this was the other example, and it's probably the only one that you'll have where you did get to read just a full original novel with nothing, uh, no impression for the movie, because this has nothing to do with the movie. You know, <laughs> you only live twice, barely anything. This, nothing other than the name of the villain, essentially. Um, strangely enough, the Moonraker novel was very close to, I would say, the middle act of Die Another Day, the stuff in Iceland <laughs> and the unveiling Don't of the... play the sound clip. Yeah, we said we wouldn't talk about Die Another Day. This is the one moment Ben's going to listen in, and he'll find a way to fit that in before we're done. Uh, but, yeah, the the whole thing with the, the Ice Palace, and basically it bonds at the unveiling. of It's an event that's being unveiled, and in the novel it's uh, a rocket. And also the Miranda Frost character, you know, pre-finding out that she's a villain, you really realize that her character was Gayla Brand, who's uh, another really good Bond girl, just because of how the story ends up. And this is what I was surprised about, because I knew that they didn't use the novel, and I'd seen the movie first, obviously. And when I read the synopsis, I'm like, well, that just sounds very kind of boring. It doesn't sound very exciting. Bond's just at an event, and he's finding out about this rocket, and, uh, you know there's this villain and he has different purposes for it but it's it's such a good book and again completely different from Casino Royale and Live and Let Die um, but it, the atmosphere the story and the, the location the fact that this almost takes place entirely in one location it was just uh, something totally different and I don't I still don't know why they've never used this or I understand they wanted to go into space and everything with Moonraker the movie but I think it would have been easy to take this story and then just tack on, oh, well, yeah. Bond's going to go into space at the end of the movie. 
this is, I think, frequently uh, referenced as one of the greatest Ian Fleming books, and it's it's almost a travesty that they've never adapted this into a movie properly. Uh, yeah, I I don't know if I love it as much as everyone else, but it is a great one, and it would make such a great film. It should be a film. Um, Gala Brand needs to be in James Bond. It pisses me off, like, I don't know if it's just uh, my, like, fake, what is it, ADD or whatever, but it just pisses me off every other Bond girl. Um, ADD? <laughs> OCD? Um, it just pisses me off that every other um, uh, Bond girl has been in the film, if I'm not mistaken. Am I... No, every other one has been in yeah. the films, except for Gala Brand. That just annoys me. Put her in the film. And she is a great character as well. Um, and then the other unique thing is how much is based in London as well. Which, then I thought about it, and I guess a lot of Spectre was based in London and uh, Skyfall based in the UK. So I guess that is a little kind of still sticking to it in these later ones. But, yeah, this needs to be a film. Uh, followed by that is Diamonds Are Forever, not one of Fleming's best novels. It's still enjoyable. Uh, you mentioned the Tiffany Case character. I don't hate the mob storyline or anything, or the diamond smuggling story. It's one I really do need to reread because it's one I had the least like memory on just because it's not that memorable, and I read it in between a lot of other ones, so it kind of blends in the middle. Um but, yeah, I don't hate it. I think the climax is good, the Bond girl is good, and it's still enjoyable. I think this is a case where the movie is better, though. I love Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah, um, I, I will say this was one of the first Bond books I read, and at the time, I think it was the first Bond book I read where I'm like, wow, I'm having trouble getting through this. Even though I'd say the first 50 pages or so, I was very interested in it, the whole diamond smuggling thing. I talked about even in our movie recap how I like the diamond smuggling aspect of it. But the biggest problem with this is that you have these great characters and there really is no story. I mean, 75% of this novel is just James Bond going from one location to another. It's almost just Ian Fleming describing where he went on his vacation, you know, when he was in the United States. But on the, the positive side, it does have this really good climax. Um, a lot of people don't like the the idea that the main, uh, I guess the location, the villain's base is just this ghost town or whatever, this kind of Old West ghost town, Specterville, which is where Spectre came from, obviously, but I thought that was a cool idea for a location. I think of all the train scenes in Bond, I'm not going to say that the climax, the action part here is the best train scene, but I think it is definitely the most exciting, the most action-packed, so there's some good parts on the end here, and the Tiffany Case character just as a whole is so interesting. The fact that Bond is along for the ride in this, that she's the one who's confident, she knows what she's doing, and Bond's just sort of fumbling his way through this. Uh, after Diamonds Are Forever, we get into... This is going to be an edit point. From Russia <laughs> with love. No edit point, because Noah serenaded us, so anytime <laughs> Noah sings, it turns into an intro. <laughs> um, Uh-oh. From Russia with love, as Noah sang there. Uh, yeah, From Russia with Love is it's such an interesting one because it is so close to the movie that we saw and I don't think I was expecting that when I did see it and um, 
the the thing that's really striking about this is that, like you said, the first half, uh, at least a third of the book, James Bond's not even in it. It is completely the story of Red Grant and uh, Rosa Klebb and giving you so much backstory into them. And they kind of kept that in the movie a little bit with, I guess, the idea that Bond isn't even introduced till 18 minutes in. But it's one of those things that really sets it apart, even though the story is exactly the same. So you can get through a third of this book and feel like you're getting something new. And then everything that comes after that, I mean, especially the train stuff, I mean, it's so hard to imagine that you could top the train stuff in the movie because all the stuff on the train is like a highlight of the James Bond series. I mean, we could have put three of those scenes in the Hall of Fame. We pretty much did. But just the setting, like setting an entire climax on the Orient Express, I mean, such a good novel. I mean, there isn't one bad page in this book. Uh, I think this book is one of the reasons why the Bond movies end up getting made, they said, especially, I guess, because John F. Kennedy, that's the famous story that he listed this as one of his top 10 favorite books. And you could see why this would start a phenomenon. I mean, it is an amazing story, as we know from the movie. And uh, the book, as you said, it just adds to it even more. Yeah, this is the goldfinger of the novels, I guess you could say, which really set Bond onto another level. Um, yeah, originally I didn't love it just because it was like, all right, great, get a move on, come on, what's happening? But once I realised this whole part one was going to be all about the villains, like uh, Fleming experimented from talking through the mindset of a teenage girl and you can tell us about that later on but just the whole thing of having a whole thing of talking about the villains first uh was such a great move for this film and because the villains are so interesting it works um so once i realized that i was completely on board and because of this novel i think tatiana romanova is one of my favorite characters in the novel type series just because of how much detail into the character we actually get of her and who she is and uh just based on the mission and it kind of comes off as a bit less complex than the films uh, not complex convoluted than the film does but yeah this is such a great one i would recommend this to anyone and you don't need a lot of context of the past ones to read this one which is good um and then after that is one of my favorites and Quite an important novel in the James Bond series. It's Dr. No. Um, kind of easy to see why they picked this uh, to film because it's an exciting story. It's got a good villain. It's got a good Bond girl and an ally. And it, it's set in Jamaica, which is a bit exotic. Um, Quarrel returns and Strangways returns. And Honey Rider is not just a great... Uh, character in the films she is a great character in this book as well which is a testament to the character of honey what is it honey honey child rider or yeah. something like that like you get a lot of character one thing i love about fleming is he doesn't he sometimes he's subtle but he doesn't go light on the characterization and the backstories of like one-off characters like the bond girls or the villains and that's something i really like a lot of the bond stuff is kind of open to interpretation but with the characters, he he tells us stuff about them, which I like. Um, it's very similar to the book. It's just got uh, the film, and it's just got more in it. The Doctor No film is one of my favourite stories in Bond, so this is really one of the most exciting and 
uh, entertaining and fast-paced books. I, I really love it, and it's a bit of a break from from Russia with Love and Diamonds Are Forever. That's for sure. Well, it's also yeah. I think between From Russia with Love and this, the first time that Ian Fleming experimented with a cliffhanger, um, because at the end of From Russia yeah. with Love, James Bond is oh, basically yeah, yeah, yeah. on the verge of death, and <laughs> this one picks up, and you know you find out that he's still recovering and everything. And uh, I think that was this was probably the point where. I know I've read stories that Ian Fleming wasn't sure he wanted to continue writing James Bond after From Rush With Love, and I don't think that's really possible. I think that he always intended for this to be a cliffhanger that picks up, because there's no way he just decides, oh, I'm going to make everybody think the character might be dead, but not tell them. Like, that's not how you end a series. <laughs> but Doctor... Well, the other thing also is uh, Boothroyd in the field mentions, oh, you're gunned on your last yeah. mission. <laughs> Which, that's the From Rush With Love novel. Yeah, that's always one of the fun and that, things. And that Boothroyd scene is actually in this Doctor No novel. They just left out the context of From Rush With Love. Or you could imagine that this exists in some type of, you know, time loop. The James Bond series is time travel, <laughs> and it's a time loop going on. Terminator's coming back to 007 here. Uh, yeah. yeah, it explains a lot of things in the Bond canon if there's a time loop. Well, one thing we didn't really talk about earlier, but I think it becomes very obvious at this point, is just the movies all have their own feel, and even if you have the ones that are closely connected, uh, like Dr. No and From Russia With Love, they all feel like a different movie. They almost all feel like a different director is doing them, even if it is Terrence Young every time. And the novels were always written like that, too. I mean, we go from Casino Royale, Live and Let Die. We mentioned the differences in there. Live and Let Die to Moonraker. Uh, Dr. No and From Russia With Love could not be more different as far as the type of stories they are. And when we get to Goldfinger, yeah. even more so. But this is, I think, almost the... If somebody... If you're not sure if somebody's going to enjoy the harder-edged, uh, more spy-oriented stuff like From Rush With Love, or if they're going to enjoy the more over-the-top action stuff like Goldfinger, Dr. No is the perfect middle ground. This is the the perfect middle ground book for Bond because it has a little bit of everything. I mean, it's a little bit over-the-top and cartoony, but not too much. It's, it's very character-based, but not too serious. Um, and a lot of the things like we talked about earlier where you get more context this is the one where I was I had that first reaction when I read this where I'm like wow the, I, the movie seems more interesting to me and I think the thing that stands out most for me here I already mentioned was James Bond escaping uh, on Crab Key which completely different reason in, in the book it made Doctor No more sadistic because he basically said I'm going to put Bond through this obstacle course this labyrinth you know, to see if he can survive it just for my own enjoyment. And little things like that just add to the story while not taking away from the movie. And Dr. No, I already mentioned, followed by Goldfinger, uh, which <laughs> I have some different opinions on, and it's not one that I dislike. I actually think that this is... It's one of the uh, few of the Bond books I've reread. I know I've reread Casino Royale, uh, obviously Live and Let Die I mentioned, and this is one I've read more than once just for the fun of it, but it is... If you're reading chronologically, this is the point where you feel like Ian Fleming may have lost his mind. Uh, and it does help having seen the movies first, so you could take it a little bit more seriously. But there are a lot of things in Goldfinger that I really do love. Like I said, I like that they improve the climax of the movie. But the one thing I like in the books better is that you do get this idea that Bond sometimes just gets annoyed with people. And that's what him and Goldfinger are in this book, is it's just... 
it's 300 pages of Bond doing something to get on Goldfinger's nerves and Goldfinger doing something to get on Bond's nerves. And it is kind of fun. And I like that there's more interactions between Bond and Goldfinger in this. Um, the Bond girls, really, we talked about this a little bit, but, I mean, this was Tilly's book. And the fact that Pussy Galore became such a legendary Bond girl when she's barely even in the novel, um, it's kind of unusual. But... Uh, this is an interesting one to compare to because the stories are very similar, but yet they feel so different. And uh, it's, it's it's almost I'm even having a hard time explaining. It's just there. It's a very unusual book uh, to read, and even more unusual to try to compare it to the movie. It's not one I love, but I don't hate it. You could almost get the sense that maybe uh, Fleming was getting a bit jaded with it at this point. Like Bond seems almost extra cynical in this book. I think it, it starts with an entire monologue about killing or something like that. Um, but it's a fun one. <laughs> the golf scene is still in there. Um, but No yeah, Arnold Palmer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you could tell that it's just really getting more mental, as you said. Like, he named a character Pussy Galore, <laughs> which, if we look at the context before this, what did we have? We had Honey Rider... Galabrand, Solitaire, Vesper, Tiffany K. So it really is getting bonkers at this point. And, uh, yeah, you're right that the film is so similar yet so different at the same time. Um, After that is For Your Eyes Only collection, but we might talk about that in a bit, short story collection. Uh, And then Blame Kevin McClory is... (laughs) Thunderbolt novel, something that perhaps should never have been published because it caused potentially, you could say, the death of Ian Fleming. I'm not sure if you want to go that far, but um, caused a lot of stress for him, that's for sure. Um, Thunderbolt is an exciting novel, and you can almost tell that it it was being written as a screenplay or something because it it feels like a James Bond film when you read the novel. still came out a year before Doctor No film. I don't like the first quarter of it because it's James Bond on a diet, pretty much. (laughs) Uh, At least it gives context to the whole uh, recreation centre thing, but there are are pages of Bond's housekeeper. Uh, We need to mention uh, good old May, I think her name is. Uh, I think that's it. It could be wrong. A character disappeared from the films bond's housekeeper and money penny or maybe not even money penny it might be Goodnight. he's uh bond's assistant um they have a whole conversation about bond's eating habits and it's like <laughs> come on what are we reading like a continuation from him going mental and goldfinger is now we're having whole conversations about bond's diet but it does turn into an exciting novel and it kicks off the spectre thing and they do a similar thing with blofeld in from russia with love and Thunderball, in that we don't really see much of Blofeld at all, but they hint at things, and we kind of get an introduction to Spectre. So it's not my favourite one, but it is a solid novel, and it's not one I would tell people to not read. It it's definitely has a lot in there. Yeah, my opinion kind of goes back and forth on this, because when I first read it, I absolutely loved it. And I remember at the time thinking, this is one of the best Bond novels I ever read, but when I go back and think about it, this is one of those ones, kind of like the opposite of what you said for your eyes, uh, or from, from Russia with Love was for you. When I go back and look at it, I'm like, well, re- what made it spectacular? Because 
It's very similar to the movie. Uh, very similar. But uh, this is one where I think in some ways the movie did some things better. Um, it was a little bit more condensed on the whole uh, spa sequence, which at least we get the proper context. This is what I loved about Skyfall, especially showing that, you know, Bond actually basically does need rehab and it affects his job. Um, and we get that a little bit in Skyfall and um, Spectre that he's kind of a broken, broken down agent. But at least I think uh, we get a little bit more with uh, who is the the nurse there, um, Patricia. Uh, uh, Patricia Fearing. Yeah, Fearing. So we get a little bit more with her, and I think she she helps make that opening third of the book a little bit more enjoyable. Uh, some things like the climax, though. I mean, now I look back on it, I'm like, well, the climax was kind of disappointing in the book. Uh, the movie definitely did that a lot better. But I think one thing it should be given credit for, and that's the. I've I've referenced throughout these episodes how good of a character Domino is, and I think my love for Domino is kind of halfway in between the book and the movies. Because again, it's one of those things where it's done better in some ways in the movie and better in some ways in the book. But the one thing that's really there in both is this was the first time Ian Fleming really wrote flirtation. Uh, there's a little bit of that with Vesper and some of the other characters, but I mean, the majority of this is just Bond and. Uh, Domino wanting to get in each other's pants and Fleming <laughs> writes it really well in kind of a fun way um, overall it's just uh, I don't know this is one I think I'd want to go back and reread because I've only read it the one time because my opinion kind of goes back and forth on it but um, overall I mean it's still if you like the movie you're still going to like the book if you don't like the movie there's some new things in there for you which brings and, us uh, oh go ahead sir Oh, I was just going to say it brings us the spy who love me, but if you have something to add on Thunderball, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to bring up Domino's brother is a much more important character as well, yeah, in the, just which adds to her character. was his name in this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there's some more characters in Thunderball uh, that you get more out of. I, I, to my recollection, I don't even remember if Vargas is in it, so uh, if he is, we'll do a Vargas <laughs> I think tribute episode. Th- more characters is the least, the uh, number one thing we don't need in Thunderball. Yeah. <laughs> Thunderball has enough care. But no Fiona Volpe. So again, one of the things the movie did improve on. So Or Pinder. Pinder, yeah. Uh, I don't even or Vargas. think that, um, that Paula was in it, to be perfectly honest. No. And no one ever mentions Mr. Jenny. You were talking about we don't need more characters, and yet we love all of the characters in Thunderball. <laughs> well, most yeah. of them, minus Vargas. Um, <laughs> this one, I think I'll be doing all the talking about uh, The Spy Who Loved Me. It is, I would say, the only spin-off novel that Fleming did. He got he got experimental throughout these, like we said, with uh, From Russia With Love, he got very experimental, as basically saying half of the book was going to be told from the villain's point of view. Goldfinger was kind of the first cartoony one. Spy Who Loved Me is not a James Bond story. Uh, I'll just start off by saying that. It, James Bond comes in probably in the last third of the book, and even then he's helping out the main character. It's still her point of view. So it it is, as Noah's been saying, a teenage girl. And the thing that surprised me was that I thought that this would be a setup for a spy story, whereas the spy stuff only comes in probably halfway through the book. The entire first half is a 17-year-old girl basically meeting a guy, having sex in a movie theater, um, little things like that. But it's kind of strange that it's somewhat entertaining to read um this is not twilight so don't get worried i mean (laughs) 
it's it's not Ian Fleming trying to write a book for teenagers. He's writing an Ian Fleming book, and just the main character happens to be living the life of a 17, 18, 19-year-old girl. Um, there are some memorable scenes. Like I said, there's a scene where, where she basically is having sex in a movie theater, which is, it kind of has a funny ending to it. Uh, don't go into this expecting a James Bond novel, but if you're an Ian Fleming, if you want to read, the same reason you might read The Diamond Smugglers or... Uh, chitty chitty bang bang it's okay to read this and when James Bond comes in I mean he still understands the James Bond character and at the very least there's there's some good scenes of a kidnapping here in the end and the villains which we got with Sandor and Jaws in The Spy Who Loved Me which were basically adaptations kind of fun villains in this even though they're completely different from Jaws and Sandor so there's still a few elements in here that make it worthwhile for a Bond story but it's still historically an interesting thing to read and I didn't actually hate the book uh, does the spy love me in the end? Um, interesting question. Because we talked about the title. Yeah, uh, um, in, I'd probably have to go one. back and read it to find out. From my recollection, I don't remember. But at least it is in first person, so yes. the me at least makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I've never read it. I've owned it. I've started it, but just things have gotten in the way. Did Although you get I'll probably to the movie up... theater sex part? Uh, no, but right. <laughs> I think that's enough of a selling point to see how Fleming ha- handles that. Um, it's just bizarre, this, like, 50-year-old, year old, like, British, very British, uh, fought in the war kind of guy. Give me another smoke, a uh, cigarette, uh, riding in the mind of a uh, young teenage <laughs> girl, first person. Wait, I just uh, have to say, lot- like, Seriously, one thing that this book, I think, is getting a lot of credit for now is that that character is a very strong character, regardless of whether it has anything to do with a spy story. Um, he did write the character very well. Does she have a name? Um, what was her name? It was... Um, not Sylvia. That's that's the Trench lady. <laughs> the Sylvia Trench uh, prequel? It was... It was some, oh, it's a name like Sylvia. What is the name now? I'm going to have to... Uh... Yeah, you can do some research. Google on isn't loading. Come on. What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> I look like an idiot now. I'm like, oh, it's actually a good book. I don't remember the character's name. Um, Yeah, I've never read it. I've heard it's horrible, but I'm excited to read it now. I it, I didn't not read it because it's horrible. I just haven't gotten around to it, but I think this will be my motivation. There we go. Um, Vivian Michelle, which, again, I should point out, Canadian character in a Bond novel. So go with that. Lead character's Canadian. That name could be used, and they should use that somehow. Um, a brief spoiler alert, but come on, we're talking about the spy loving novel here. Um, I love that it says on Wikipedia, 221 pages. Uh, a young woman is alone working at a motel where two thugs, hired by the owner, turn up and burn it down for insurance. They are about to rape the woman when Bond turns up and stops them. Later that night, Bond is attacked, but kills the thugs. Sounds like a thrilling novel. <laughs> 221 pages. Yeah, we should point out that the very beginning of that description, a woman working in a motel, is probably 140 pages in. <laughs> so they don't even mention the majority of the book there. That's how late it all comes into the story. Yeah, sounds like fun. I'll get around to it. I can't believe After we talked that... longer about The Spy Who Loved Me, the one that you yeah. didn't read. And it has I read, read the freaking thing. <laughs> um... Yeah, so after that brief detour, which is interesting that it does fall between these two novels of Thunderball and Majesty's Secret Service, that like they put a little like 
spin-off in between the trilogy. Um, but on a Magic Secret Service, what can you say? It's a great film. It's a great novel. Love the Tracy stuff. It's very, very, very similar to uh, the film, which is, I think, something Peter Hunt wanted to do. Uh, the the novel, the film is similar to the novel. Um, it's one of the later ones I read. It's a great for like the Thunderball and a great precursor to You Only Live Twice. It's an incredibly important novel, as as the film is, and it's definitely up there as one of the best. It's great. The ending. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, Ian Fleming does not get nearly enough credit for how daring of a writer he is. That At this point, I mean, the Bond character, the movies that come out at this point, we should even mention that he found a way to write Ursula Anderson here just because of how infatuated he was with her <laughs> Dr. No. Um, Ian Fleming being meta. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the the fun thing about this, though, is that, you know, we talk about how some of these things are very close, but there are a lot of times where I've read a book based on a movie or even read a book and then seen the movie, and I feel like it's, it's harder to get through for that reason. Even though there's not that many differences between the book and the movie here, this is still so enjoyable. And like I said, right after I read Casino Royale, this was the next one I read. And I absolutely loved it, and uh, I still love it to, to this day. I've reread it at least once, and um, a few of the characters are definitely uh, expanded on more here. I think, at least from my recollection, a character like... Bunt. Uh, yeah, Bunt is much bigger. A character like Draco probably was bigger in the movie, I think, or maybe it was just the actress portrayal was more memorable, but yeah. But Ruby is probably more in the yeah, novel. I mean... The thing is, is that this feels the movie feels like a novel, and this is proof that you don't have to change things. You don't have to make things bigger and better sometimes. And the fact that they had such a dramatic ending in the book that you talked about how how do you pull off something like Casino Royale? How do you pull off You Only Live Twice? Sometimes they get daring and they do try to pull off the ending, and it works. And On a Majesty's Service is the perfect example of what you can do when you take a novel that shouldn't work on screen and you make it work. And I think Peter Hunt, more than anything, if you read this novel, you're going to get more appreciation for how Peter Hunt could possibly pull this off in a movie form. Um, Still one of my favorite books. I mean, just like my favorite movie, one of my favorite books. And it leads directly into You Only Live Twice, which uh, I think you group the two of those things together and you have, this is what every Bond fan has to read. So... Everything that happens in Honor Majesty's Secret Service is really necessary, as we said, to get what Ian Fleming was trying to write in You Only Live Twice, even though the story is its own standalone story. It's not a direct continuation or anything. And this is... It's interesting, because if I were to mention my favorite Bond books, which we might get into right at the end here, I'll definitely put You Only Live Twice up there. But like you said, I mean, the story itself is not really adaptable into a movie, the story itself isn't even necessarily that memorable. It's just the James Bond character and the fact that you get this final showdown with a villain that you've uh, had three books setting up is just like, it's the perfect conclusion. And uh, I think that's one of the other reasons why I've had trouble ever getting into Man with the Golden Gun because I always did want to read that last. And You Only Live Twice feels to me like this should be the end of James Bond. And we keep referencing how this book ends and... It would be nice if we could get into it, but uh, probably don't want to spoil it just uh, in case some people have read some, but not the others. But it's just, it's it's 
the ultimate ending and Ian Fleming is so daring as we said that he's able to do things that should never have worked in books and he doesn't get nearly enough credit for that because he basically turns his entire character around here and I don't think anybody could ever expect the way this was supposed to end and as far as the story and the action goes in this, I mean, we get a lot of stuff with Tiger Tanaka. I mean, there's probably more scenes between <laughs> yeah. Bond and Tiger talking than anything else, but Tiger's such a good character, it's acceptable. And, you and do an have, Australian character. Yeah, the, Dicko Henderson. Dicko Henderson, the stupid kangaroo bum. <laughs> Fleming's uh, one attempt at writing about Australians, calling them kangaroo bums. He was racist against you guys, too. <laughs> he was. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's it's this is pretty close to a perfect book too and i i don't know if i would be as high on it if we didn't have honor majesty's secret service going in but that's the way ian Fleming wrote it that's the way he intended it so i think it deserves so much credit this is this is an amazing book uh yeah it, it is so good it's it's not it's not your typical one and it it's kind of uh despite the climax it's kind of a downer as a as a final it's not like they're going all out for the final adventure until the end, really. Um, Tiger is even a better character in this than the film, and Dicko Henderson, the one Australian. Um, and I've just got back from being in Japan, which makes me want to read this again even more because he actually does. They actually do go to uh, the place where I went. Uh, I didn't go to any of the filming locations, but um, a place where I was, Bond and Tiger go to. So that's kind of cool. I'd love to reread it now. Um, it's pretty much Bond and Tiger driving around Japan for most of the book. And drinking um, a lot. <laughs> yeah, lots of sake. Um, the Garden of Death, that has to be in a Bond film. Yeah. Come on. How is that? A garden where, like, what is it, Japanese businessmen go to die mm-hmm. or something like that? I'm kind of, I'm probably butchering ex- its exact purpose, but that's the basic premise, I think. Is that's an amazing final Bond uh, climax lair, like villain lair. Like, how did they not use that? The volcano was awesome, but come on. Um, and I love just the the title. Uh, and I'm reading here on the James Bond wiki because it, it's in the book, but um, the the title. Oh, sorry, I'm lost for words here. The film. It was because Bond died, and then you only live twice. But in the title, it's actually a haiku that Bond writes. It says, you only live twice, once when you're born, and once when you look death in the face, which is just so appropriate for his final encounter with um, Dr. Shatterhand, or Blofeld, um, which I've heard people say... Is that a Joseph Wiseman joke again? (laughs) uh, (laughs) No! I'm not going back down that route. Um, but one one good idea I've heard is to get Craig back for one final film um, and get Mendes back and you've got Skyfall and then you've got Spectre oh. and then you have the final one, Shatterhand. I hadn't even bring... thought of that. Yeah, I think that would make for a perfect trilogy of the S trilogy. Um, Skyfall, Spectre, Shatterhand, Final Encounter with Blofeld, Maybe Madeline Swan dies, or it's just an encounter. Uh, bring in the Garden of Death, if you want, as the secret secret lair outside of Spectre's other lair. Wouldn't that just be perfect? Final final Craig, final Mendes, final Blofeld, final S, single word. It just, 
it fits together too well, I think. Um, I'm completely on board with that. Um, yeah, there's so much. This is like Casino Royale. We could talk so much about this, so I don't want to go on and on. Bunt is also in this one. She couldn't appear in two in the film because uh, the actor sadly died, but she's in this as well. And that ending, it's really gimmicky, but when Fleming, Fleming does gimmicky stuff, it just works. Mm. Like, he gets a free pass on gimmicks, I think, and it's the perfect ending to Bond, so let's just pretend it is the ending to Bond, but, um, yeah, it's kind of sad that that's not where it ended, because the next one kind of throws it out the window, so if we're ever going to do single ones, I'm not sure if we can talk about all of them, but if we're just doing a few Casino Royale and you only live twice or two, I would definitely have a lot to talk about. But the final James Bond film by Ian Fleming, released after his death, I believe. The Man with the Golden Gun. Um, again, you can't really talk about the beginning of this without... Um, well, no, actually you can. Uh, I'll read out the first line. This is not spoiling You Only Live Twice too much at all. Bond returns to London after being brainwashed by Russians and is assigned to kill M. That is the beginning of this novel, so you know you're not off to a good start. It, <laughs> it honestly sounds like fan fiction. Yeah. <laughs> Which it could well be. There are rumours that yeah. this was partly ghostwritten after his death. Um, to reprove his worth, M sends, bon, uh, M sends him to Jamaica with the seemingly impossible mission of killing French- Francisco Pistols Scaramanga, a Cuban assassin who is believed to have killed several British secret agents. Um, yeah, it's, it's not great. Um, and it's kind of lazy, back to Jamaica. Scaramanga is still a good villain, even though he's not the, quite the same. There are still some similarities there. Yeah, it kind of... I think I like it a bit more than most people, only because I read it out of order. If I had read You Only Live Twice and then this, I probably would have hated it much more. So it's still an enjoyable novel. I'd still recommend you read it. But if you maybe view it as, like, counting the John Gardeners and all that in the series and that you only live twice isn't kind of the end of it, then maybe it will work better. I don't know. It's not bad, but it really is not one of Fleming's shining spots, that's for sure. Yeah, as I said, I didn't read it, and you kind of made it just more daunting for me now uh, <laughs> because if... If this is the last book I read, um, it's it's going to be really hard, especially topping you a little twice. But you also gave me an interesting idea here that because the main reason that this felt like it was hard for me to read, it wasn't because of You Only Live Twice, because I actually read You Only Live Twice. It wasn't the last Bond book I read, but it was one of the last. Um, but I'm far enough removed from that that I could just judge this on its own merits. But it's just the style, you know, having when I tried to get through this, it was after I reread Diamonds Are Forever and Live and Let Die and everything. And. I I think I would have to go into this after reading, like you said, some of the Gardner books or something. Because uh, the writing style is different. You could definitely tell there probably was some ghost writing in here. Yeah, definitely, it wouldn't surprise me. Definitely at least on a polishing level. But um, I, the only question I have is the, the Scar make a character. Because I think that's the thing that even though I wasn't that high on the Man with the Golden Gun movie, there were some things about it I absolutely loved. And the Scar make a character, I mean... Does he even compare to Christopher Lee? Is it? Are there any similarities? 
He is a memorable villain in a way, and they do kind of play up to this, like, similar to Bond type thing. Um, and I believe he still has three nipples and a golden gun. So it, there are similarities. When I read this, of all the things they've kept is an island location and Scaramanga. I think there's probably more similarities than with Drax, although there are similarities between the two Draxes. Mm. But of all the characters, like people like Dr. No, Red Grant are much more closer. But there's there's some things here and there, though. Um, I mean, once Man with the Golden Gun was done, that was it. The book actually came out after Ian Fleming died, but there are these short story collections, like we said, that we can get into. And the first one, which was published when Fleming was still alive was for your eyes only and i guess the real backstory behind this was that tv show that was supposed to happen of james bond that uh ian fleming had already come up with some some story outlines and because the tv show didn't happen they ended up going with the movies instead he took them and turned them into some short stories so the your eyes only book collection we don't have to talk about each one one at a time but kind of as a whole we have <laughs> From a View to a Kill, not A View to a Kill, From a View to a Kill, uh, For Your Eyes Only, Quantum of Solace, Risico, and The Hildebrand Rarity. So, quick opinion on this. Um, I, I, I actually really love this. I would probably be more likely to go back and read some of these short stories than I would even the novels, because they are that what? good. Uh, minus, maybe, From View to a Kill. I wasn't really crazy about that. I mean, it's an interesting setting, just kind of like two snipers trying to kill each other, but... The other ones are so good. For Your Eyes Only and Risico, uh, really, if you combine the two of them, you have the For Your Eyes Only movie with you know a little bit of Live and Let Die novel in there. So there's some enjoyment if you like the movies and you just want to see where it came from. Um, I think especially the Risco story really stands out for me. That one was fantastic. The yeah. whole battle between Christados and... Um, uh, what was the other guy's name? Uh, Columbo. And, uh, Columbo. <laughs> Columbo. As much as I love the movie and especially love that I wish the movie had done a little bit more with that but you get more of that in the Risco story and it's it's really fantastic and I guess the Quantum of Solace um, I'll quickly talk about that we mentioned it it's it's basically bonded a dinner party <laughs> it's, it, mm. if Spy Who Loved Me was the spin-off novel that really had just a little bit of James Bond in it but it was nothing to do with James Bond that's what Quantum of Solace was here the title is the only thing that exists in it and the Hildebrand Rarity, a lot of people kind of credit License to Kill as being based off of the Hildebrand Rarity. It's not. It kind of just has the Milton Crest character and it takes place on his boat. But otherwise, it's a completely different story. But a good story and something that you could maybe get a little bit more mileage out of if you wanted to take the scenes and adapt them into a movie. So, I mean, when people talk about how they've exhausted all of Fleming's stuff, I think you could still take the From a View to a Kill story and maybe use that in a movie and uh, definitely some Hildebrand rarity stuff could still be used in there. And overall, I mean, I don't think people should just look at it and say, well, it's short stories. These short stories are just as good as any of the stories in the novels. They just happen to be shorter and maybe easier to get through. So definitely something I'd recommend if somebody hasn't read them. Yeah, I thought the short stories had a bit of a bad reputation, so there you go. Um, I enjoy them for the most part. Um just on the whole TV thing, I think a lot of these books would make great, like, serial-based mm -hmm. uh, TV series, like 20-minute episodes or something like that. I think that would really work. Um, 
Yeah, I don't love the short stories, but I also don't hate them. Um, you mentioned that how the Fleming stuff has been exhausted, but I feel like the, with everything left, you could get three films out of this, maybe. Um, I'm not sure if it annoys you as much as it annoys me, but it definitely does annoy me. It probably shouldn't. I should probably care about more important things, but the fact that there are four Fleming titles, well, three, let's not include 007 in New York. <laughs> Yeah, that haven't been used just really pisses me off. And they they started at Casino Royale Quantum of Solace. It's like, great, they're using the old titles. They're using them up. It just really annoys me. I hope by by the time that I die, all of the Fleming titles have been used. Um, and when that live event of revealing Spectre, for a minute I thought, oh, it's a one-word thing, we're going to get Risico. Yeah. No. Um, and I get the, the Hildebrand rarity and... The property of a lady aren't the best titles, mm. but is Octopussy the best title though? Um, I think Risico well, is a on, good hold one. On. Let's be honest; it's called Octopussy. It is the best title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, good point. <laughs> I think Risico though is a, is a good one because Risico could be anything. Like it could be a villain or a, a weapon, like GoldenEye or a ba- a, a town. A secret mission. It could be anything. So I think Risico should at least be one. Um, as for the stories, I'm not going to go too in-depth. Quantum of Solace, whatever. Um, mm. I really like Risico. And yeah, they did use a lot of it in Fear Eyes Only, but I still think there's a ton of that that could be used into a film. Um, and the Four Year Eyes Only one, uh, that has Melina in it. I'm not sure if she's called Melina. I think she is. But definitely a bow for sure. Yeah, a bow-wielding uh, femme fatale, that's for sure. Um, so those two are probably my favourite short stories, Fear Eyes and the Rusico. I really enjoy them. Um, and f- to be honest, From a View to a Kill, I don't have a huge amount of memory from. It kind of seeps in the middle there. but It honestly is uh, just two snipe bond and another sniper and is who's going to pull the trigger first it's not it's not really yeah. that exciting um but they used the title from it, those <laughs> like come on risico um what a and then the other... to a kill yeah. why wasn't it called from a view no, let's not get into um next one the final one the final fleming thing released is the second short story collection Octopussy and the Living Daylights released after his death and after the man with the golden gun, although these stories came from beforehand, I think. Um, yeah, not quite as good as the other short story collection. Um, the Living Daylights, it's decent and they used a huge chunk of that in the film. Uh, 007 in New York is about six pages and James Bond gives you the recipe for scrambled eggs. <laughs> that's, that's the essence <laughs> of the entire story. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. Um, yeah, I don't have a huge amount of memory on the property of a lady. I I did enjoy Octopussy. I thought that was a pretty good one. They kind of mention Octopussy in the Octopussy film. But overall, this collection is not as strong as the first collection, and these short stories aren't quite as good. But I really sad we didn't get that TV series, because some of these would make good for short 40-minute episodes, I think. Yeah, you know, another thing to mention, this, well, we might even get into this if we do covering of the movie or something like that, but I mean, there's so many other spy movies out there, and uh, The Man from Uncle, 
which now has a movie out there. Ian Fleming was originally involved in that show uh, before he died. He came up with the, the, the lead character and everything, and it was going to be an Ian Fleming show. Um, because he died, he had very little involvement, obviously, but I can almost imagine that that Ian Fleming doing a TV show like that, that we could have had a lot of these stories, and Fleming had a really good imagination for coming up with short stories too and like you said the reputations aren't always great for these but they're such good stories and Octopussy is a perfect example of how you could do something really different in a short story and still make it exciting and almost the entire backstory was used in the movie but it was just a character mentioning it and Octopussy would make a great episode of a TV show um, yeah. you, you mentioned Risico an amazing episode of a TV show Maybe not 007 in New York, but an opening scene or something. Yeah, cold open, man. Yeah, but yeah, a lot of these stories work. And The Living Daylights, I mean, that that was was... it was so custom made to be, like you said, maybe a 20-minute episode that that is the entire opening 20 minutes of the movie. I mean, they basically changed very little. I could view a Barry Nelson Living Daylights episode. Yeah, yeah, it would be really good, and... uh, I think that's the one thing that uh, these stories are all very different. I mean, Octopussy is less a James Bond story, you know, and more the backstory of what we find on the movie, Octopussy's dad. Um, he called her his little Octopussy. Uh, <laughs> but that's one I'd definitely like to go back and read a little bit of again, just because of the, the Oberhauser connection in that, because that story's been almost exhausted now between the two things. And Living Daylights has, and Property of a Lady, they took a little bit of it in... Uh, the Octopussy movie, but yeah. it, I don't know if the rest of the story is really that exciting. It was kind of half the story, but yeah, Double Seven in New York is, I guess, the Quantum of Solace in this group. Fleming always wanted to include something that was basically just James Bond's everyday life. He's kind of just on a day trip, and there's a little bit of spy stuff in there, but that's the thing that everybody remembers is the scrambled eggs, I guess. Um, overall, I think I definitely prefer the For Your Eyes Only story collection, maybe because there's one extra story in there. Maybe it's because Fear Eyes Only and Risk Core are better. But I think if I were to take all of these stories, I might say Living Daylights would even be my favorite of all nine or ten short stories. But So overall, I mean, that one's definitely worth the recommendation. But the Fear Eyes Only one is my favorite of the two. Do you think when they made the Fear Eyes Only film, they looked at it more of the short story collection rather than just the actual for your eyes only story so when they're like all right we're basing it off this they kind of viewed it as if it was a whole novel because they do use risico and they do use uh for your eyes only and i think there is oh and there's a bit of the hildebrand rarity in this and then you look at octopussy and then they do use octopussy Mm -hmm. and they do use a bit of property or lady so do you think they this is the dumbest question ever no, asked on the podcast it ever. Actually, but... It brings up an interesting point, though, because uh, we're talking about these two collections, and I said that Fear Eyes Only is definitely my favorite, and one of the reasons is because I think all those stories can fit together, even though you know, From a View to a Kill and uh, Hildebrand Rarity aren't really connected to those. The stories all feel the same, so you could imagine it would be easy for them to look at it and say, well, let's take... A little bit of Fear Eyes only, a little bit of Risco, and you could combine them. Whereas I think the second time with Octopussy, Property Lady, Living Daylights, 007 in New York, I mean, you really are stretching it to tie any of those together because they all sort of have... They are, in a way, more like the novels, and they all have a different feel to them. 
and that would make them harder to adapt. But yeah, they probably did go into it thinking, let's do this. I also just wonder, did they think they were running out of movies at that point? Because when you know you've run out of Fleming novels, wouldn't you want to just take one each time? So they, they must have yeah. seen at that point the fact that the movies were starting to decline a little bit and figured, well, let's just get what we can out of this before it's all over. The Property of a Lady. That sounds like a Bond film name. Come on. That sounds like more of a Bond film name than Octopussy. And Risico. Come on. Scrambled Eggs in New York would make a great title for (laughs) Bond 24. Yeah, how would they... Could they just call it In New York and they'll get rid of the 007? The new Bond film, In New York. If we don't see... We've had a quiche... If we don't have scrambled <laughs> eggs at some point, they're yes, not doing justice to Ian Fleming's contributions here. We need, of all the things I haven't used out of the Fleming novels, it's the scrambled eggs that we yeah. all want. Um, one, one quick thing that I wanted to know, we're not going to dwell on this because we're talking about Fleming here, but the post-Fleming novels, we're not going to talk too much in depth. I'm just wondering how much you have read and how much you've explored. I'll just say for me... I've read Icebreaker by John Gardner, and I didn't hate it. It, had, it was no Fleming. kind of had an 80s vibe to it. I felt it was like a Dalton. Oh, that's another... No, it felt like a Dalton. All right, quick, quick sidetrack question. When you read the books, do you view a certain bond in your head? You don't um, want to dwell on it, but yeah, it's I, an important question. I try, it's, it's an intentional thing. Uh, but I try to always view Sean Connery, despite what I'm reading. If I'm reading, you know, Man with a Golden Gun, or if I'm going to be reading uh, Live and Let Die, I would try to picture Sean Connery just because he's the original. He was the one who was there at the time the books are written. I don't do it just like off the top of my head where it's just, oh, I immediately picture that person, but I try to intentionally do it. Although I will say, especially after having read Casino Royale this most recent time, I find it pretty easy to picture Daniel Craig in a lot of these early novels I don't really picture any but if any it would be Sean Connery um, but then when I read Icebreak and I'm not sure if it was just oh I read it from the 80s so I'm going to picture Timothy Dalton but I really did picture Dalton and Robert Brown when I read that one um, so I read that, that was okay I will read more if I can get my hands on them Uh haven't read any of the Raymond Bensons, but I do own Tomorrow Never Dies. That's the only novelization I own. I need to get around to reading it and discovering Dick Stamper's snuff films. Um, I have read Devil May Care by Sebastian Fawkes, which I enjoyed, and it's set in the original timeline. It's set after Man with the Golden Gun. The one thing I didn't enjoy is it's by Sebastian Fawkes, writing as Ian Fleming. It's written on the cover. And if you... You're setting yourself up for failure if you say that I am writing as Ian Fleming. Um, So it's enjoyable, but it definitely does not feel like a Fleming novel. Maybe that's just because I hated that so much that I just rejected any Flemingness in the novel. Um, I do own Carte Blanche. I haven't read it yet. Don't own Solo. Um... And then I'm dying to read Trigger Mortis. I oh. really w- want to read that. And I'm also dying to read Colonel Sun, which is from the 60s and apparently is the most like any other Fleming novel. I just haven't been able to get my hands on it. And I've never read any of the Young Bomb books. Yeah, um, Colonel Sun is 
the one uh, I think until I finish Man with a Golden Gun, I won't read it. But as soon as I finish Man with a Golden Gun, I think that would be like I'll go right on eBay and pick up a copy if I can't find one in the store. Uh, yeah. I have read a few of the Gardner ones. Uh, Roll of Honor was the first one I read, and uh, it's definitely very 80s, like you said, with Icebreaker. Um, I pictured Roger Moore in that more than anything else. It was probably because I just came off watching Free Your Eyes Only, where Moore was a little bit more serious. Uh, I don't know if I'd be able to picture Roger Moore if I was coming off of View to a Kill. <laughs> uh, and I, I can't remember. I think the other one that I read of Gardner, there was one other one I read, and I'm Pretty sure it was No Deals, Mr. Bond. Either that or Win, Lose, or Die. I hate that title. Yeah, it was one of the ones with a comma in the title. That's all I remember. So either No <laughs> Deals, Mr. Bond, or Win, Lose, or Die. Uh, Benson, the only one I read was Man with the Red Tattoo, which was, I think, the last one he did. And it was okay. It wasn't great. Um, it didn't feel like Fleming at all, even the, the way the story was. Um, I, from what I understand, that's by far his weakest book, and you really shouldn't judge him based on that, so I'll probably go back and read some of his others. Um, as far as the new ones, I guess the, the, it's it's an interesting thing they're doing, we should mention, going back and forth between writing books that take place in modern Bond, like Carte Blanche, and then doing these books that take place in the original mm-hmm. continuity, like uh, Devil May Care did that, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah, and Trigger Mortis, too. And I like doing that, where you have a variety of Bond. Um, Card Blanche, I have finished reading it. Uh, it's I usually read about two or three books at any given time, and it's one of the ones I'm going through. I had started it right before Trigger Mortis came out, and then obviously Trigger Mortis, I got that. It's uh, a big I, one, too. Card Blanche is very one. big, yeah. And I think it definitely starts in a way where you have to have some patience with it. It doesn't necessarily have the biggest, most dynamic opening. Trigger Mortis, on the other hand, I'll say... It's right up there. It's, I would even rank uh, it above at least one or two of the Fleming books. I want to read it. It's it's so good. and I'm too poor to read it. <laughs> well, they, they do have some material from Fleming in there, from what I understand. A few of the scenes were taken from a TV show that he was adapting. Whether or not it was the same Bond show or not, I don't know. But it feels like a Bond book, and I think when I'm reading the villains, it feels like... I've read some other books from Anthony Horowitz, the author... Uh, it feels when you're writing with the villains more of an Anthony Horowitz thing, whereas when you're writing Bond, it, it is almost like you're reading in Fleming. And uh, I, I like that they're bringing back a Bond girl for the first time ever with Pussy Galore, because we didn't really get a character with her the first time, so they have a lot of freedom there. Or was it, was it Pussy Galore in that one? Or I know she was in yeah, one yeah. of the other ones. Yeah. Um, Solo was the other one that was in the original continuity. I don't think she was in that. But yeah, I mean, love that they have Pussy Galore in there. And the scenes in it are interesting too. This is a bit of a spoiler. You, you get a bit of why Bond's relationships don't work out. And this is something that Ian Fleming probably never got around to doing, but would have done at some point is what happens. These stories always end with Bond getting together with a girl. And then, you know, they break up for like three or four weeks later. And this is kind of showing, well, what would happen during those three or four weeks where their life <laughs> wouldn't be exciting enough to continue. And yeah, the, the, the story itself is really, it's not just the little things like that, but the actual spy stuff's great. Trigger Mortis is by far, uh, the best, I think, of the spin-offs that I've read. But I've got more, obviously, to get through. I like that they're kind of setting in between things. Um, like, Devil May Care was set after, which is fine, but and it's got Mathis in it, Mathis mm-hmm. in it as well. Um, but Trigger Mortis, by setting it in between, you get rid of the, like, uh, dead wife Tracy kind of thing, so Bong can just be in that kind of middle period. Mm-hmm. 
And I think it's probably the way to go if they're going to continue with that is to set them during the Fleming period rather than after if they want to keep with the original timeline. could Because I imagine that there's a few gaps in between some of those missions that yeah. you could fit another thing in. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll maybe read a few more and then do an episode on it. But I do have a quick game for you, Colin. Uh, right. It will be very quick. Uh, I expressed my distaste of them not using the title of um, Risico, Hildebrand Rarity, uh, Property of a Lady, and not 007 in New York. I'm gonna I'm gonna read through some of these uh, post Fleming novel titles, and you tell me yay or nay for a, a future Bond film title. Okay. It doesn't have to do anything with the plot because we saw that with Moonraker. Uh, so we'll just quickly run that. We don't need to dwell on this for too long. But Colonel Sun could that be a film title? No, too many bad memories of Colonel Moon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, don't get Ben started. Um. 007, the authorised biography <laughs> by John Pearson. Oh, I don't know what that yeah. is. <laughs> um, license renewed. No. Mm, no, unless it's like a reboot or something. Yeah. Uh, for special services. What? No, hands down, no. Oh, really? I don't mind that one. For, for special, special services? A... Sounds like, like something a catering company would have. <laughs> <laughs> catering for people in wheelchairs or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a bit similar to Honor Majesty's Secret Service as well, I guess. Um, Icebreaker. Uh, if it was the 80s, maybe. Probably not modern day. <laughs> I think it could be like a snow-based one, perhaps. Uh, Roll of Honor. Yeah, I All actually right. do like that one. That could be one. All right, here's... This is a fantastic saying, this one. Nobody lives forever. Could that be one? <laughs> it has to be because there was... I don't know if you ever played it. There was a video game... Uh, probably just after, around the time of Pierce Brosnan, it's called, no, I think it was called Nobody Lives Forever. And it was a female James Bond thing, and it actually took place like around the 60s. So oh. you have to do Nobody Lives Forever. Um, oh, here's a good one. No deals, Mr. Bond. <laughs> that sounds like Bond 25 title right there. Yeah, that that's going to happen. And when the new actor takes over, when Idris Elba becomes Bond, it's going to be No Deals, Mr. Bond, followed by Don't... No Mr. Bond, I Expect You to Die. And those are going to be his titles. <laughs> I love the, the theme song. No Deals, Mr. Bond. <laughs> Starring Idris Elba. Um, I'm interested in this one. Scorpius. Yeah, I, I think that could work as well like as a Daniel Craig one. Well, that could be the third S. <laughs> I prefer Shatterhand, Sky but it could Fall, be Skyfall Spectre Scorpius. Two more. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Scorpius and then Shatterhand. Or Shatterhand's first name is just Scorpius. Scorpius. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ooh, this is a sinister one. Win, lose, or die. No. <laughs> that's a Bond game show. Win, lose, or die, yeah. Mr. Bond. <laughs> that's like the Judy Dench slapping people. Yeah. Welcome to Win, lose, or die. <laughs> that, that would be a good plot. The villain is a host of a sinister online, like, Darknet like game show called win lose or die where you either you're either a millionaire you go home with nothing or you die can you imagine uh, like the scene inspector where bond wakes <laughs> up and he's in like the torture room or whatever <laughs> and it's like welcome to and you got the crowd in the back and win lose or die <laughs> yes that needs to be made um broken claw 
Broken Clock. Was that actually a book? I don't even know if I'm familiar with the <laughs> yeah. title. John Gardner. Bond investigates Broken Claw, a half Blackfoot, half Chinese philanthropist. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Ooh, what about this one? The Man from Barbarossa. It, well, if I knew what Barbarossa was, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like another game show. Or That's like the happen. man from Uncle's Cousin or something. <laughs> <laughs> Barbarossa is the less known organization. <laughs> oh, this is a good sequel to Nobody Lives Forever, and it's quite poignant. Death is Forever. Death is Forever is a Bond title. <laughs> you only live twice, death is forever. Oh, this is, sounds like a dark one. Never send flowers. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Daniel Crush. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a Judy Dench costume drama, unfortunately. <laughs> yes, some sort of 18th century type thing. Um, oh, what about this one? Seafire. Uh, sounds like a Brosnan film. Like. It's to me, it sounds like a bad '90s show called. I think it was called Sea Quest. Um, I don't know if you ever saw that. No, it was like people living in an underwater base. Um, yeah, I, bad memories of bad '90s shows. Oh, short but sweet, cold. <laughs> like how 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 lacking was the in the creativity department? We're like, what do we call the new one? We, we have we have diamonds are forever. We have. Live and let die. How about cold? And then the sequel will be lukewarm. <laughs> Hot. Yeah, I think maybe Gardner wrote a few too many books by the end of his Yeah, time. Gardner was running out of steam there. Cold. So, nay on cold. No. On to Benson. We can move through the zero minus ten. What is this story about Bond stealing an abacus? Like, <laughs> Yeah. It either sounds like like military zero dark thirty or like a math drama. Yeah, Bond must face a ten year old math genius problem. <laughs> zero well, yeah, minus ten. At the very least, we're getting some good plot lines out of these titles. <laughs> uh, yes, we've got. How do you? I got a whole TV series of <laughs> Bond episodes here. Uh, good, good follow up to the trilogy of Nobody Lives Forever, Death Is Forever, and now. The facts of death. <laughs> is it gonna be co-starring Lisa Welchill as the Bond girl? Yeah. Yeah, the, they've got Full House and they've got Fuller House. Facts of life to the facts of death. That's how that's Bond relating to teenage girls has come full circle. Now we got the facts of death. <laughs> oh, I love this one. Midsummer's Night's Doom. <laughs> what is that? A book? Bond attends a party at Playboy Foundation's <laughs> Playboy Mansion in Beverly Hills, where Ministry of Defense secrets are expected to be sold to the Russian Mafia. <laughs> we know that the Mafia and the Playboy Mansion have to become a Bond novel at some point. <laughs> Midsummer's Night's Doom. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I'm going. That that is a, an octopusy level title. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, I like this one. Live at five. Live at five. <laughs> on the way to date, on the way to a date with a female television news reporter, 007 recalls how he once helped a Russian figure skating. Oh no, BB no, is back. BB. <laughs> this is the BBC called Russian figure skating champion defect in full view of television cameras. I think it's that the- was a short story on TV guy. 
that's the uh, announcer's intro to Win, Lose, or Die. Live at 5, <laughs> it is Win, Lose, or Die. <laughs> Starring BB Doll. <laughs> uh, yeah, Neon Live at 5. Yeah. Never Dream of Dying. Hey, that one is good. That's a Fleming title right there. That's a decent Never Dream of Never Dying. Never Dream of Dying. Yeah, that could be a metaphor for, like, Bond. Uh, you've got to keep your mind on the job. Don't even think about dying. That's, that's uh, the opening sequence of Skyfall, or the opening titles of Skyfall, too. Never dream of dying. Yeah, that's a decent one. The man with the red tattoo. I'm pretty sure at the time this was written, that was a cool title. But the girl with the dragon tattoo... Yeah. <laughs> like, are we discovering that Bond titles... in that. Bond titles are being ripped off or that the Bond titles are ripped yeah. off. I guess we need to know the dates for these. Benson deserves uh, some commission on this. Yeah. Oh, Tiger Tanaka's in The Man with the Red Tattoo. Yeah, yeah, Got that's one of the bonus on things. Uh, Die Another Day, novelization. No. No! Um, this one I do like as a film title for Bond. Devil May Care. Yeah, and that was the one that was written as Ian Fleming. And it, it is very much an Ian Fleming title. I think yeah. that in... I like it. Yeah, that and uh, Trigger Mortis are probably the most Ian Fleming-like that they've done. Uh, Carte Blanche, I think that could work as one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Casino Royale, Carte Blanche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's uh, not. It's it's definitely a Bond title. I think it would be an Ian Fleming book title. It would just be one of those things that would be hard to write a theme song around. I don't know. If, yeah. I don't know if Chris Cornell is going to write a song called "Carte Blanche." Well, I'll just get Sam Smith to sing an unrelated piece of shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sam Smith will do "Never Dream of Dying," the theme song of yeah. "Carte Blanche." <laughs> that does sound like a Sam Smith song. Um, and a few more if we move into young Bond territory. Silverfin. Yeah, that title always threw me off because it sounds a little bit too much. Do you have silver fish in Australia? Yeah, they're like little bugs if you get a cold, damp space. They're really Oh, yes, yep, yep, yep. I yeah. know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't want anything that reminds me of silver fish. That's gross. <laughs> Blood fever. Blood fever is... I don't know, that's like a <laughs> That's 70s, like a disco album. Yeah, that's 70. like a <laughs> 70s uh, Bee Gees uh, <laughs> type of Michael Jackson thriller, like... We got blood fever! <laughs> That's Foreigner, I guess. Yeah, no, you're on that. Yeah. Uh, double or Die. Bit that of alliteration there. Yeah, that one's not bad. Yeah, but not straight after Never Dream of Dying. <laughs> or The Facts of Death. Oh, I like this one. Hurricane Gold. Yeah, that's. I don't know what it means, but it sounds cool. It sounds like a band Hurricane name. Hurricane Gold! Finger. That sounds like like the band that's opening for Fatty Esther this weekend. Yeah. Hurricane Gold. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a band, Hurricane Gold. Um, oh, what about this one? By Royal Command. I don't mind that one. That's, a, that's kind of on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Maybe it's a 70s, only. 60s film. Yeah, Maybe. for Eyes Only reminds me a bit of that. A Hard Man to Kill. That sounds a bit naughty. Yeah, that one's it's pretty good. It's, <laughs> it sounds like a Fleming title. Innuendo title. Yeah. A Hard Man <laughs> Hard man, to kill. a hard man to please, a hard man to kill. We've got the lyrics of the song right yeah, here. Yeah, that's please. the song. And now we just need a, a Radiohead to sing it. From. Um, or we'll get um, uh, what were they called? Something Gold, Hurricane Gold. Hurricane <laughs> Gold can sing a hard man to please, a hard man to kill. How do I live? Um, <laughs> and finally, uh, shoot to kill. Shoot like to another Western kill? maybe. They're, that sounded like the these, song you were doing, just yeah. chill to chill. These are pretty lazy, some of these. 
Yeah. <laughs> the Young Bonds, uh, not quite up there with the Benson titles, are they? Yeah. Uh, that's it. Maybe a long-winded game, but we got a fun TV show out of it. Well, I mean, and again, unfortunately, you did miss, because there are those Money Penny... Uh... Oh, the Money Penny Diary! <laughs> Money Penny's first date with Bond, the, the motion picture. <laughs> yeah, where's the Money Penny spin-off? All right, the Money Penny Diaries, Guardian Angel. Ooh, nay. Uh, for your eyes only, James... <laughs> That's the title? Yes! <laughs> they just Bit had lazy. games to everything. <laughs> Octopussy James. <laughs> From Russia with love, James. Win, Never drink, lose, uh, or die, James. James. Uh, we have That's sec- it? There's only two? Oh. No, there's Secret Service, the Money Penny Diaries. <laughs> Jeez, they really ran out of titles for the Money Penny Diaries. <laughs> well, and of course, the Money Penny Diaries, Final Fling. Oh, that one. Yeah, Final Fling. That sounds like a dating TV show. Yeah. They've tried dating everyone, and now this is their Final Fling! <laughs> Here's a few more. I've got uh, the comic strips. Oh! <laughs> the Harpies. The Herpes? What? <laughs> this is the Harpies. Bond. If James Bond was real world, we would have the Herpes. The Herpes. <laughs> herpes never die. The Harpies. Oh, uh, that's a bit fancy. Work. The Golden Ghost. No. These are there's a lot of horror like <laughs> titles in there, aren't there? Fear Face. Fear Face? That sounds like a bad It's a reality show. Yeah. Uh, oh, we're talking about game shows. Double Jeopardy. Oh that one that hey, that one has to work. Double Jeopardy. win, lose, or die. Double, Double. Jeopardy time. <laughs> Trouble spot. Trouble spot? I think that's when he needs to go to the doctor when he gets the yeah. <laughs> Ooh, the League of Vampires. What is with the James Bond comic strip series? Is this where James Bond meets Count Dracula? This is a must. Die with my boots on. <laughs> I gotta die with my boots on. I oh gotta no! Die with my boots well, on. Well, we could get Nancy Sinatra back to sing it again. Yeah. <laughs> die with my boots on, which are made for walking. Yes. There you go. Made for walking. These <laughs> boots uh, are made for walking. <laughs> I die with my boots that are made that for walking. That needs to be a parody. These boots are made for walking. <laughs> um, the Girl Machine. Uh, is that part of the Money Penny Diaries? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think this one might be a reference to Grace Jones or Mayday. Beware of butterflies. Ooh. <laughs> That they, yeah, they were definitely watching the most intense season ever in A View to a Kill when they did that. <laughs> the Death by the, Butterfly. The Nevsky Nude. Can you spell that for me? N E V S K S K Y. The Nevsky Nude. Nude? N U D E. Bond? Here's a creative one Till Death Us Do Part. That's actually a good title. See, finally, there's a title that sounds like a Bond title. I don't know. The League of Vampires. That's pretty yeah. fun. Hot Shot. Hot Shot. <laughs> little bit plain. Nightbird. Night. These sound like. They all sound like songs now. <laughs> it's just Jim Lawrence. This is album. the discography of uh, Sam of Smith and Radiohead. <laughs> yeah, freaking gold. Ape of Diamonds. Ape? 
Yes. Ape? Like, this is the... Uh, G- what was it? Gamora the Gorilla Girl? Zambora. Like Zambora? Yes. Oh, like Zambora that. the Gorilla Girl from uh, Diamonds Are Forever now. Jeez. Oh, they're still... All right, we'll move through the these last ones. When the Wizard Awakes. <laughs> Down the <laughs> yellow brick road. What's the these fantasy Bond comics? I really have to get these comics. <laughs> yeah. Sea Dragon. <laughs> Yeah, this is a must. We will do an episode on the comics on, of James Bond. James Bond, the, the vampire slayer. Something. Deathwing. That Deathwing? I am really seeing, like, a monster gargoyle theme showing up here now. <laughs> the Xanadu connection. <laughs> <laughs> we have Ooh. to do, like, just movie plots for all of these. Like, that's a challenge. If we can come up with plots for all of these... That's an reasons, episode. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, shark bait. Shark bait. Like jail bait, but with sharks. (laughs) I have to imagine that this is a Bond girl name for this next one. Doom Crack. Doom Crack? (laughs) That has to be the girl's name, surely. Yeah, this is getting really (laughs) X-rated. Oh, my personal favourite. Flitter Mouse. <laughs> Flitter Mouse. That that is a Daniel Craig film. Flitter Mouse. Flitter Mouse. Flitter Mouse. Flitter Mouse. I still don't know if that's an innuendo for something. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very uh, subtle in, innuendo for something. Yeah. Only Jim Lawrence knows. Uh, Paul Star. Paul Star. <laughs> Not like Paul, <laughs> the star. Pole star. Like pole dancing? The, yeah, pole star. Yeah, this is all the porn star uh, yeah. titles now. Either money, that or money penny, money penny After Dark is what these are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ooh, The Scent of Danger. Ooh, that smells fantastic. <laughs> I don't know if you want to be thinking about odors when you're thinking about Bond. <laughs> <laughs> the scent of danger. I, I smell that Blofeld is here. You know. Bond, what are, what are you doing putting your nose in there? I smell a scent. The scent of danger. I can smell danger. That's, that's a Sean Connery. We, we have to just come up with a challenge. We'll just come up with a bunch of games one of these days. It's like, you, we'll do an episode. And this, well, I promise this will happen. We give a title, The Scent of Danger, and you have to find a way to work that line yes. into a movie the way the uh, from a view to a kill that's the scent the scent of danger oh yes how we always bag out how the film title yeah. is like. so then so yes. one guy has a challenge where okay you have to come up with the plot of silver fin and another guy has a challenge work the title yes that's a good one these boots that's are made guy. for death <laughs> this this will happen i swear it will happen what are you smelling james that is the scent of danger. <laughs> yes, that's a good game. <laughs> what is that, Bond? Oh, how the hell do you work Flitter Mouse into anything? <laughs> what is that mouse called, Bond? That is Flitter Mouse. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> and Double Eagle. The, the, now Not just one. Two Eagle. In your endo. It's like, what are those two things hanging there? Those are my double lingles, darling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have the ultimate James Bond stump you game <laughs> coming soon. To you. Yeah, that's a good teaser. That's gonna. Um, 
Yeah. Oh, I'm just looking at this here. Like, um, what? Uh, go down to Q Lab. Uh, no, I can't. I can't work when the wizard awakes into James Bond. Why am I even trying? It's one thirty in the morning. I can't work when the wizard awakes into anything. Yeah, this this will be our most ridiculous episode ever. And if you heard "Die Another Day" or "For Your Eyes Only," you're in for a treat. Or if you've heard some of Ben's past jokes, you know that this will be hilariously bad. When when you eventually do hear the unedited episodes of all the stuff that we have to cut out that Ben says that <laughs> is not fit to make it to air, <laughs> you're in for a yeah. treat. We'll, we'll be a bit like meta with it. We'll be we'll be doing the episode, but we won't be doing it as Double or Seven. We'll be doing it in the context of win, lose, or yeah, die. Exactly. It's gonna so be that will be the game show. Or die, Mr. Bond. <laughs> yes, the game show is uh, fitting these lines. So it's going to be completely meta. There'll be no double or seven in this at all. We're all contestants. <laughs> so if you got nothing else out of this past two hours, if you haven't been enlightened <laughs> to learn how to read, well, here we are trying to encourage people to pick up a book and educate <laughs> We're making it fun. And we've now devolved into, this is going to be Win, Lose, or Die, the game show where we <laughs> come up with funny words and make each other say things with it. Yes, we need different rounds. Like, the fitting that the title into it is only one round. We need, like, five rounds. And yeah. at the end, one of us will win, one of us will lose, and one of us will... Die. Die! Dun-dun-dun! Well, yeah. <laughs> that is what books do to you, people. If you think this show turns into nonsense when we watch movies, look what happens when we read. This, this started as, like, our best and most serious episode, and it just evolved into double or seven. Oh, do we have any final notes uh, to go back a little bit to where we started? Any final notes on the novels that maybe we didn't get to cover that you want to say? Um... <laughs> I just can't write to read when when the wizard awakes and whatever it was called. Um, yeah, there is so much we could talk about. I feel like we either need to do individual novel recaps or we need to do just another part two of the novel. We've been saying we're going to do the novel one for the past five months and we've only just gotten around to it. But maybe we'll do a part two because there's just so much more to talk about. And we're rounding out the end of the movie, so we're going to have other stuff, more free time to talk about this kind of stuff. But at the very least, I'd love to do an episode on the Casino Royale novel. Um, so there is so much that we barely even scratched the surface with to talk about the novels, but just really, I, this just makes me want to go back and read them. I've actually forgotten how much I really did enjoy the novels and hold them up there on a high regard, so... I will read Spy Love Me, and then I think it's maybe time for some rereads of these novels. Or maybe I'll read These Boots of Death, or No Deals, Mr. Bond, or The Wizard Man, or The Girl Machine, I'm not sure. I, I know, if nothing else, uh, The Money Penny Diaries is the next thing I'm picking up in the bookstore. Um, the Money Penny Diaries, James, I think. The, yeah, The Money Penny Diaries, James. Um, <laughs> but it also I actually is- want to read The Money Penny Diaries. That would be very something different that and the young bonds are something that's on my bucket list it's just if i'll ever get around to it who knows but yeah we'll do an episode on that when we do young james bond 
we'll go along with a young Bond of a young Money Penny books or something like that. But yeah, we didn't even get to the James Bond Junior episode titles as Bond yeah. film. Let's <laughs> yeah. not even scratch that surface. But like, there's we we just went through about twenty minutes of the titles <laughs> of the books we didn't talk about, um, and the titles are enough to give us twenty minutes. I mean, just imagine what these books are and. I think the next thing to do would be like a, I don't know if we do a rank the Bond novels or just you know the best and the worst of the Bond novels, and that would be something. I think we could rank down it. Yeah, that would give us more of a chance to um, uh, to go a little bit more in depth. But there is so much to talk about there. Like we we barely even scratched the surface with something like Moonraker, and there's so much that happens in that book, and uh, uh, such a good story. And like especially the Only Live Twice and Casino Royale, those two could be three hour episodes in and of themselves. So uh, if if people are out there are listening to this and you've never read the books, we're hoping we kept it spoiler free, except for the part where you know James Bond is eaten by a silver fish. We didn't get into that. Uh, that's in the yeah, Octopussy we, short story. We completely spoiled uh, the vampire. Yeah, lead. that's right. James Bond vampire hunter has now been spoiled, too, which is uh, <laughs> and what, the harpies. Yeah, just... Bond with herpes. Um, <laughs> but no, overall, I mean the these books are great to talk about, whether it's for better or worse, uh, Diamonds Are Forever, Man with a Golden Gun, or From Russia with Love, uh, Honor Magic Secret Service, Casino Royale, and there'll be lots more to talk about in the future. And maybe we'll even get Ben to read one. If we can do an episode on oh. Ben's virgin virginity in Bond novels being broken, that would be the ultimate, too. <laughs> we need him to read one Bond novel. <laughs> yeah. That's the goal. We are going to give him something like the Money Penny Diaries to read. Just to yeah. Well, yeah, this is generally considered to be the best one, Ben. Yeah, yeah. Start with this one. The one that's, that's for your eyes secret only. Secret Service, James. Yeah, like for your eyes only was one thing, Ben, but for your eyes only, James is like the peak <laughs> of Ian Fleming's career. You've got to read it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I guess we have Skyfall and Spectre come out very shortly. At the time we're recording this, we are one day away from Spectre being released on Blu-ray in Canada. And one month and one day away from being released in Australia. And we've got some cool things coming as well after that. Yeah, we actually... Not just game shows. Yeah, if anybody's wondering if we're just going to do... What's the funniest title? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Hence, you that, die. That's what we've got planned after the films. We're just going to do a hundred of these episodes where yeah, we talk exactly. about titles. No, we, we do have something to transition from the movie recaps into something else that will be a long-term project. So that'll be fun too. But uh, And more book stuff, hopefully. Yeah, more books, m- more games. Well, the book stuff will probably tie in with part of some of the stuff we're planning to do. Yeah, there'll be easy ways. I mean, all these things, we're going to cover some... We're just teasing everybody without telling them anything about it. But we're <laughs> going to cover every possible topic you can think about in a very well-connected episode. So uh, we are not over. We have much to do. We didn't fire Ben. We're just... We've got him up to Curious Jordan level. He's, he'll be there. <laughs> He's trying. By the end of the year... You'll get up to for your eyes on the Yeah, but um, that's it for the books episode. And I am Colin, the man from Canadosa. <laughs> um, my name is Noah, and I am just a massive kangaroo bum. And read, children, read. It's good for you. And then play. Win, lose, or die! Or die! <laughs>